This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win... Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fuelled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that doesn't hate Fulham, largely because they're irrelevant. With all the pre-match hype about there being such thing as a West London derby, I began to think after about 60 minutes that I was actually witnessing a donkey derby. Now, it's true, Chelsea had started well with a fine, well-worked goal from Pedro, but the expected route of the bottom side never happened. Instead, we appeared to get stuck. Bogged down by fear or nerves, perhaps. Anyway, passes went astray and crosses were misdirected. Fulham gained confidence and looked the most likely to score at some stage. Anyway, Sarri made some superb, inspired substitutions and Ruben into a pussycat, trying to annoy a lion. At the end of the day, we've picked ourselves up off the floor after last weekend's defeat against Spurs, bagged two points and kept a clean sheet. And joy of joys, Arsenal's victory over Spurs means we're back in third place in the league. But there is a nagging feeling that the jury still remains well and truly out on Sarri. And Jonathan Kidd, how are you? I am very well indeed, thank you. It's lovely to be here on the show with the, the lovely Clayton and yourself. Thank you so much. Thank you for asking me and pleased to be here. Ah. Yes, I know. I'm sorry for all the shenanigans we've had, but hopefully whatever I've done has done the trick. We shall find out in the fullness of time. Uh, I'm really very happy to say that uh, that I've got uh, my great chum, Mr. Clayton Beerman, on the show. All cool. right, OK, uh, let's go and go through what we got on tonight. What's the menu for tonight? Well, basically, we're going to be asking uh, in part one whether Ruben Loftus-Cheek is ready for the first team. And why do Chelsea seem to be going backwards at the moment after a good start to the season? We doff our cap to Kepper, as uh, Clayton and I were just saying, who, of course, is establishing himself as a very fine keeper. The next, I think, in a very long line of decent 
Chelsea keepers. Uh, we're going to ask, is Hazard being overburdened? And should we be more patient with Sarri and the players? And what is going on with the atmosphere, which at times uh, was as turgid as the football yesterday? Uh, in part three, we discuss <coughs> what the prospects for Chelsea are against Wolves on Wednesday and against City on Saturday. Plus, uh, we've got a couple of great with questions for us to ask. With questions for us to answer, and in part four, we've got even more emails for Jonathan to read out, plus the usual roundup of worthy Chelsea causes. Now, don't forget you can listen to the show live every Monday at seven o'clock or half seven if we're horribly late, like we are tonight, by going to Mixler, which of course is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea. Join in the chat by posting on the live chat page, and of course, you can always tweet at Chelsea Fancast, which even if it's just to annoy me, which I have no problem with, I, I'm happy with that. Uh, loads of people in here. Apologies to my Mixler chums who uh, have been hanging on patiently since seven o'clock. I've had major tech issues all day, largely because my, comp- my desktop computer is dying, and uh, Skype, as we know, is complete arse gravy, as Tony Glover would say. But I've now moved on to the laptop, and fingers crossed, it seems to be okay, and I'm going to invest in a new computer, because it's about... It's only been... I mean, I, I bought my desktop before Chelsea won the Champions League, which will give you an idea of how old it is. Anyway, uh, that uh, is uh, something to ponder whilst you have a little break before we come back with the football. <laughs> Welcome back. All right. Uh, first one, I've, I've been really clever with my title for this. Um, not that I'm seeking credit or praise. Uh, of course I am, really, aren't I? But I've called this Ready Rubed. I thought I quite liked that. I, but anyway, I'm not getting any, I'm not even getting any tumbleweed, let alone any canned laughter. It's, but... a, it's a tobacco reference, isn't it? It's well, Ready Rubbed, exactly, exactly, Jonathan. Yes, yes. Exactly. Yes, so I mean... I just, what I was Very thinking. What good. I was thinking. Except, of course, the name isn't rubbed. Is it's not Rubben Loftus Cheek? No, <laughs> I know. I, look, mate. It's look, Ruben, if the sun can Ruben get away with it. it. So can I. That's all I'm saying. Yes, yes. you'd have to have a, a, a speech impediment to make that joke work, wouldn't you? Rubben Rubben or or some strange foreign accent. But yes, good old. Let's keep going. I will. All right. Okay. So, um, where am I going to start with this? Uh, well, you know, the bottom line is uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek came on and made a great impression. Of course, uh, I've got to say that that run that he made, uh, you know, where he he basically picked up the ball. I don't know, probably possibly inside of our own half, but he ran. And I thought that up till you know, then that was the best thing in the match. I actually got off my seat. I was excited. It's the kind of that's the kind of football I like to see. Um, but you know, that was uh, clearly. Uh, you know, overtaken by by a superbly worked goal. I mean, the interpassing between those, uh, well, I think the three of them, wasn't there? But particularly Hazard and and, and Ruben Loftus Cheek was absolutely superb, and I thought he finished it beautifully. And of course, I thought so. You know, pretty much after the game, a lot of the you know talk on social media was much the same. But you know, we seem to be suffering. I think from you know mid a lack of midfield creativity. And I think the football was a bit turgid yesterday. 
there's surely a case for him starting, and I think there's certainly a case for him starting ahead of Kovacic, isn't there, Jonathan? Well, Kovacic didn't impress at all, did he? No. And um, uh, I personally think that um, uh, Ross, um, having been told that he was back to his best and selected for England, then hasn't played very well since. Um, uh, It was very difficult, wasn't it? Because it started off very well, as you said, and we seemed to be all over them. Um, uh, And by the time that uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek came on, the whole game had descended into a strange, or even 76, when we won 2-0 at the bridge, and um, Best and Moore played, of course. Is that where where Um, Bestie flicked the V? Yes, in the tunnel, yes, and then denied it. And then, um, but somebody was there on on Twitter and said, "I was there. I saw it. He definitely did." He's not. He's not going to admit it because those are the days where you flick these people from the FA or whoever or the referee, and you got banned and fined for weeks. Um, I think. Uh, um, I think Best was trying to play as much as possible because I think he was on appearance money, wasn't it, at the time? But it was. It was great watching him play at Fulham. I have to say, I used to go down to um, the cottage to watch him play. Alone, I mean, not alone. Obviously, he played with twenty-one other people, but I mean to play purely to see him play. Him and Moore were a great couple of acquisitions for them. But I digress. By the time that um, uh, Ruben came on, the game had just disintegrated into this bizarre porridge of ineptitude. There was a wonderful moment where I counted. There were eight passes between Chelsea's midfield and Fulham's midfield, and I kept counting. I thought, how often is this going to go on for? And when any, Ruben any insight came on, onto whether Loftus Cheek should start ahead of Kovacic? Oh, that's what you asked me, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but 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 uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I, think I'm, he should. I stopped cackling now. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I I think he should, as a consequence, because Kovacic is there for Hazard. It worked for twenty minutes. I mean, there was there was a kind of connection to what I was saying. It worked for 20 minutes, 15 minutes, when we were all over them and they were absolutely dreadful and they gave the ball away non-stop. Um, and that number 23, what his name was, Seppi, I think, isn't, isn't that his name? Just 20, 20, Terry, yeah, I almost got it. Terry, yeah, I almost got it. And we nearly bought him, apparently. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, he was supposed <laughs> to be. He was supposed to be brilliant, but, um, oh, dear, he was so poor. Kept giving the ball away all the time. Um uh, and 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 uh, we kept being tackled all the time. Obviously, he kept being caught in possession. But uh, yeah, I think there is a there is definitely um, uh, a possibility because it's not working at the moment, is it? With uh, with Kovacic. Well, once again, it worked for twenty minutes and then all fell apart. Why? Why on earth did it fall apart? I don't know. But yeah, I definitely give him a go. As you say, the the run he made was fantastic and the goal was fantastic and um, and he looked far more direct. And it looks as if, you know, obviously we need somebody to, to play midfield to score because nobody scores from the midfield. So, yeah. Started. Well, I've got, I've got some stats. I know how much you love stats, Jonathan, just like I do. Uh, but, you know, I haven't, I mean, not, well, I mean, he's, I think he's done, he's played eight match. I don't know. I don't, I actually don't have them written down. I was lying. Sorry, people. I was <laughs> lying about that. More goals. He's had, he's got more goals. He's had more assists than uh, Kovacic. He's definitely, I think, got better technique. Uh, he looks to go forward and he can beat a man. Clayton is what does Kovacic, Clayton, is what does Kovacic offer then? So, you know, why up till now has Sarri been picking him? And I'm, I'm not trying to dig him out because I think he's a decent player, actually. And he, he tried hard yesterday and he took quite a clattering on several occasions. And I think, actually, the 
irony is is that Sarri took him off because he was knackered and he'd been clattered. Not it wasn't a tactical substitution at all, was it? He was injured. I think he got injured. Yeah, yeah. He was limp. He limped off. I mean, Sar- Sarri said that, didn't he, in his interview afterwards? That it was a t- he. He basically took him off because he was injured rather than being tactical. I don't know whether he should start the next game. Your that your question was what does Kovacic offer? Kovacic offers a lot. I think he's a great player. Um, I think that the problem with him, not with him per se. I think the problem is that he's playing in a midfield and he's basically doing a job similar to what the other two do, which basically means that we've got three midfield players who are all doing the same thing. Um, and I think that's where the problem is. And as Jonathan said, our midfield are just not scoring. Um, I think it's a, it's a great shame because I think Kovacic is and, and can be a fantastic player, but whether we actually need him or not, I don't know. Um, he does link up beautifully with Eden Hazard, um, as we sort of discussed at the beginning of the season. The major problem was that none of us could actually tell the difference between the two of them. Um, there was less, I would say, yesterday, less link-up play than there has been previously between them. Um, I, I mean, I think what he offers is a, a, a sort of a third person who's basically neat on the ball, plays little passes. Um, but Ruben offers something different. Now, one of the things not to denigrate what Ruben did yesterday was that we don't have anybody that runs at players. And we were saying this yesterday, that it was screaming out for that. Because not so much yesterday, but even in games earlier this season where Luis has gone on a run or Rudiger's gone on a run. It's something different. I mean, every bloody team we play have got two banks of four and we can't break them down. We try um, and we'll come on to the delivery and service in a minute. Um, so it, 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 it was crying out for somebody to, to do what Ruben does. And what's interesting is the more you watch Ruben and the more game time he gets, the more confidence he gets. And I know that we were actually playing against a pub team last week in Pauk, with all due respect to pub teams, but players were bouncing off of him. Yeah. And they were, they were still professional footballers that play in the Greek league, but they couldn't do anything with him. And so it proved with Fulham. The problem is that when you've got two banks of four, if you try and pass through them, you know, once you've got past one banker four, there's another one there. If you've got somebody who's just bulldozing into you, and I'm not, that's being crude because I don't think Ruben bulldozes, it's much more difficult to, to deal with and it's something different. So I think the th- thing is with Sarri is he doesn't like mixing it up. And I think if he plays Ruben ahead of uh, Kovacic, that is him mixing up, which I, I perceive he doesn't like doing. Mm. You I think mean it's... as in as in getting stuck in? You mean? What do you mean? What do you mean mixing it? Getting on mixing it up with him? I'm getting no, changing it. No, no, no. I I don't mean mixing it, it up right. in the terms of um of basically being more physical. I mean in doing something different. I mean, you know, I know you spoke about this last week, and I think there is a slight worry that he's very Wenger-esque. Sarri in his management because he's got a way of doing it and that's what he wants to do and that is a concern but the point is I'm saying that on one hand but what he did on Sunday 
yesterday was he mixed it up. He changed it because it wasn't working one way. So he brought Ruben in to do something different and it worked. Um, I, yeah, and, and, and clearly it did. I mean, the other thing that I would add, uh, or change really in, in a sense, because I thought, you know, Pedro's talking about Sarri and the way he plays. I, I thought Pedro's goal was superb as well, actually. Um, it kind of occurred to me that, you know, he's, uh, he's perhaps more of a Sarri player than William, but it was a very Sarri kind of goal. I mean, you know, Kante, uh, you know, in a sense created the perfect Sarri goal. He nicked the ball on a high press, moved it forward at pace and laid off a great pass for Pedro to put it, um, put it away really nicely. And I'm, I'm glad to see that Pedro looks a lot, sh- he's getting, getting his sharpness back after that injury he got, but also, very pleased for Kante, who I thought was excellent yesterday, uh, particularly considering, you know, the criticism that he got from Sarri uh, last week, which, you know, I mean, he's entitled to do that. But it, it did seem a bit unfair that Kante was the one being singled out, really, when basically the whole side was shocking last week against Spurs, Jonathan. Well, I think he was excellent for that first period, but I don't think any of them was excellent in the second half. No, no. I mean, it's a, it's a question of degree, isn't it? And I, I think that he was he was you know better than uh, you know. I know that I know they dipped in the second half. I mean, that's, that's irrefutable. But I still think Kante's level was fairly consistent throughout the game. Well, he, he was certainly excellent from at the beginning, but um, uh, he started missing tackles and giving the ball away just like everybody else as the game went on. It was it was. Uh, there was no saving grace. There's nobody that we can we can say was outstanding other than the goalkeeper, I'm afraid. It became um, appalling and dreadful in the second half. Uh, and it was only when Loftus-Cheek came on and he made the substitutions that it changed. So uh, um, uh, I don't share your Kante enthusiasm at all, I'm afraid, Chidge. So um, it's a good point that Jonathan makes there, Clayton. I mean, we did start the game pretty well. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and uh, and then soon, you know, I mean, you know, the thing is, you get one nil up after five minutes, and you kind of expect, you know, particularly considering that Fulham are the bottom of the league, you expect Chelsea to to turn them over quite easily. But actually, the opposite happened. We we weren't fluid at all. The build up was painfully slow. We were indecisive, ponderous in the final third. Um, you know, it was it was despite the fact that we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that we did win two nil. It's three points. We didn't let a goal in. Some of the football was quite frustrating and turgid at times. And I and I, I would love to know why. You know, I wonder if if, if Sarri kind of indicated that they might have been nervous, having been walloped by Spurs last week. So that kind of speaks of the mentality issue that he's been talking about. But they seem to come out of the traps really quickly. Uh, you, you know, on on Sunday. So I'm not sure. It, it it it's 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 perplexing to me. It really is. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Well, I think the one thing that, um, as I said to you uh, before we came on air, um, I was at home today, so I was fiddling about and doing bits and pieces. And one of the things that I actually got time to do was to watch match of the day two. Obviously, I didn't watch the other games. I just whizzed forward to us and the extended highlights on Sky and one of the things that occurred to me is that we actually played really well in the first half and we were unlucky not to be about two or three nil up. And so I think the thing is that it clouds your judgment as to how 
we played yesterday and whilst I take on board everything you say and I actually left the ground I was actually quite frustrated and I was getting really frustrated in the second half our first half performance was actually very good um all of the problems that came in the second half I think were twofold I think one we sort of lost concentration but um Mr. Ranieri made a tactical change that we couldn't actually cope with. Their number 47, who was the, the size of a London bus, My God was, he was actually he? really skillful. And I thought he played really well in the second half. And, you know, we've said it before, sometimes you have to give credit to the opposition and the opposition played well in the second half and we didn't. So I'm not quite so um, down on us as I was perhaps when I left the ground, because I think in, in sort of retrospective, looking at, at the game itself, it was, if you actually want to look at it in real terms, it was, what, 30 minutes maybe? Because when did Ruben come on? Because things picked up then. Because, I mean, if you look at the last 15, 20 minutes, they didn't have a yeah, touch on the ball. Yeah. So it yeah. was literally just... A sort of a 30 minute period well let's be honest if we have a 30 minute period like that next Saturday we'll get absolutely get thumped out of all well, you know I mean, we'll get thumped yeah. out of the park I mean, but, I mean, that, but the that's, point that, that's a given though mate isn't it I mean I, and I think to be fair you know Fulham you're right I like what the point you make I think Fulham played a lot better in the second half you know and they need to be given a bit of credit for that I mean Ranieri's no mug but you're right. I mean, if we play like that, or that happens, you know, against City next week, we're going to get absolutely walloped again, I think. But I think, you know, it was frustrating, but I think a lot of it is to do with the final product. I don't know if you want to sort of move on to... The, yeah, yeah, go for it. You know, the, the this this whole thing. I mean, I felt unbelievably sorry for um, Marcus Alonso yesterday because... He was just having the worst game that any of us have ever seen him play for the club. Of that, there is no doubt. I don't think he's ever played as badly. I do not know, and I really don't know, and this is going back to the Sarri point, I would have taken him off at half-time. He was awful. He was Mm. awful in the first half. He got worse in the second half. Um, And I think he should have gone off. Now, whether it was the the vile chanting, uh, which we'll come on to. Well, no, good, let's do it now. Do you think that might have had an effect? I can't see how it can't, to be perfectly really? honest. I, I really don't. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, first, I mean, a, ba- a banner, for God's sake. They had a banner with murderer on it. I mean, did the, did, the, did the Spurs banner have a good. banana on it or something as well? <laughs> but do, do you not think, I mean, Jonathan, you and I, I mean, you've been going to football longer than I have, but I've been going to football a long time and I've been to Fulham a lot and I've seen them at our place a lot I was I was absolutely shocked I really was this is not Fulham this is not Fulham Football Club they you know, did I, not once once shout for their own side they didn't say anything positive no. all they did was chant anti-Chelsea songs yeah. for the whole of the game it, it was, was like QPR in it was it was like Black Means by Rangers absolutely they they I mean, they used the state got hold of the stick your blue flag song which we uh, up your ass which, yeah. which we yeah we've never heard them do before 
Uh, they've got We Are Fulham, We Are Fulham, and then it says um, F Chelsea, which we knew about anyway. But then it was all just non-stop, um, as you've put in your scripture, baiting. Absolutely appalling. And when we got the, the murder of it in, I was just completely... Um, but do you, seriously, I, I, do, you, do, you think, do you think that the Lonzo would have, would have been affected by that? I mean, well, I, I'm, I'm not trying to... Hang on, hang on a second, hang on a second. The, the reason I ask that is, and I'm not, I don't mean to sound, you know, a bit harsh or cruel here, but, you know, these are professional footballers. They get grief every time they walk on the pitch. Uh, and they, sh- I mean, look at John, Te- John Terry, for example. Look at the dog's abuse that he got during his career, and he, he never let it affect him. Frank Lampard, another one. In fact, used to make Frank play better when we when we played West Ham. So, I, I mean, I accept that everybody's different, and maybe Alonso is a bit more sensitive, but I, I'm surprised if he if it got to him. That's kind of what I'm saying. Well, it seemed to be that the two worst displays that he's given this season have been against both sides who the supporters have, have just booed him all the time. Um and, and but when they started chanting murderer, that's when I really thought this is uh, this has gone too far. I well, they, were, they were chanting he he murdered a kid, and yeah, I just, yeah. you know, and I just I'm sorry, I might be really naive here, but I mean, this is I don't know what's happened to them because that is not Fulham. Fulham are a lovely we'll family later, club. Clayton, Clayton yeah. we're going to get onto this in in part yeah. two. In okay, full so effect, just going but... back to Alonso, I think it was it I. I mean, I can understand that, Sarri, you know, you've got your player. But the guy was suffering. Not, I'm, not to, I'm not talking about the chance. The guy was suffering. You could tell how frustrated he was. You know, the substitution he made, he should have made half an hour before he did. Now, I'm not saying that would have changed anything per se in the, in the way we played or what have you. But the delivery and the service in the first half was okay not from Alonso, um, but it, it was non-existent in the second half. And a lot of that was the fact that we had no out ball. There was nobody to play the ball to. Um, it's it, it, a pattern change, didn't it, Clayton? Because in the first half, he got all the space available and he wanted yeah. to put those dreadful crosses that all went out for uh, for throw-ins. Um, but in the, in the second half, on and he couldn't did, do anything. Goodness, not only did they bring on, uh, made the change, with the bloke, but they also pressed far more effectively. Um, yeah. And so he he hardly hardly got out of his uh, he hardly got out of his uh, of his defensive area. But I agree completely. He should have come off uh, earlier. And Zappacosta actually was was you know better than than Zappacosta normally is. So was, was uh, Emerson injured, you know, mate? Um, he wasn't on he, he wasn't on the bench, was he? Yeah. No. No. One wonders. I don't. No, perhaps he's fallen out with it. I don't know because we were talking about on Friday about giving him a go, weren't we? Yeah. And um, I've I've got a man crush on him. I think he's a really good player, and I think he's really unlucky. Hmm. I, you know, shout me down. I I actually think he's a really good player, and I do think we, he deserves more of a go. Now I know that Alonso has played really well, but I I'd give him a go on Wednesday. I know it's not going to happen, but. Well, really no, it might do. It might do. It might do if they if more people if he, more people start shouting and he does react to this or he plays as badly. But yes, that was the worst performance for Alonso. I felt for him actually. He, he, it, as you say, he should have come off earlier. Um, you, you wonder whether this is a pattern and Sarri isn't uh, as as great a, 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 a pragmatic a manager as we thought he was because he's yet to do any 
any half-time substitutions, has he? He tends to keep the team on for a bit, the same team on, and substitute a bit further. I think he's done some 50-minute, uh, um, 55-minute substitutions, but I don't think he's done any Mourinho-esque 20-minute substitutions. It seems to be beyond him. Perhaps he think it, it's too, thinks it's too offensive to the player. Well, which Emery He needs to sort that out. Bloody smartish in my book. But I'll tell you what, though. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I agree with you, Clayton, about the delivery being all right in the first half. I thought. I thought it was appalling throughout. Actually, well, from from the I left and the right. Well, no, you say that, but um, having cross crosses back, wise. Yeah. No. Having watched it back. Yes, Alonso was hopeless, but Asby put in a couple of fantastic crosses, one of which um, Giroud actually did really well to get to and it was well mm. saved, and then All there right. was another one. Yeah. Um, so Asby, I think, gets off on that in my, okay. from me. Well, I, I'm being a curmudgeon then. Who knew? <laughs> I know. No, I know. <laughs> but I, look, I, I tell you what, though, and it is, it's an issue, and I think actually the, the, the point really, maybe this is why it's stuck in my head, because I thought... Uh, by contrast, and actually Jonathan and I talked about it on the, on the Love Sports Show on Friday. I thought the crossing on on uh, against Pauk was was very good. You know, we were getting a lot of crosses in, and uh, you know, it didn't seem to be a coincidence to me. Therefore, that Giroud and Marat scored. You know, they were getting crosses in and they were hitting the target. And and I think that the, the issue really the, of, of more importance here is that. I think a lot of Sarri's game is 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 you know built around the idea that he's got really good fullbacks who can you know if he's going to have Hazard and William or even Pedro who are going to cut inside all the time then a lot of the attacking thrust has to come from the wings which means if you're going to do that you've got to have people who can cross the ball in but you know hey ho I, I you know I think on the on on the whole Alonso is is better at getting the ball in than he's not and I think he had a bad bad day at the office uh, on on Sunday, it happens. Um, Aspie, I'm I'm not so sure. I think I, I think Aspie doesn't like getting forward. There was an I don't know if you saw this, but there was an amazing moment in the match where we had pretty much all attacked on the left hand side, and Hazard had the ball and he completely run out of options. And he saw Aspie was in his own half, and he waved at him furiously to get up to on the right wing. Uh, which he then did, and then Hazard laid the ball off to him, and I thought that that was really telling. You know, he seemed to be really kind of caught in two minds. When should I be going forward? When should I be going back? I thought that was quite interesting, mate. Yeah. yeah. Did 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 you get the impression yesterday um, that Hazard was getting very frustrated? Yes, I do. Yeah. I so do. did I. There was a couple of occasions where he was having words with people. I think he there was there was that occasion which he picked out, and I, he was having words with Jorginho, and he was having. I don't think he fell out with anybody, but he just it looked like he was getting a little bit fed up. Well, Clayton, um, that's the perfect yeah. segue because we're going to kick off with that in part two because I think there might be a lot of things going on there. Not necessarily all all nasty and horrible, but we shall see. So, uh, to pick up on that, in part two, we're going to uh, doff our cap to Kepper, as I've been promising, not just to keep Clayton happy. Um, I personally think he's becoming a very, very good goalkeeper, and, and it just it's kind of intrigued me. We've had a lot of very good goalkeepers recently, and I, I, I like the fact that that seems to be continuing. We are going to pick up immediately on what Clayton's saying about Hazard, um, there could be a lot of things going on there, and we're going to talk more about Sarri, and maybe we should be more patient with him and the players. 
And then finally, we're going to pick up on another point that Clayton's been making. He's on fire tonight. What can I say? Uh, but we are going to absolutely drill into the atmosphere, uh, which was as turgid as the football at times yesterday. And of course, the corollary of that is what Fulham were all about. And we're going to pick up on that too. So we'll see you in a sec. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge. And this, of course, is the Chelsea fancast with the delightful uh, Jonathan Kidd and the equally delightful Clayton Beerman, as well as myself. Oh, and you're so delightful as well, Chidge. It's yes. uh, it's a lovey loving. It is a yeah. lovey loving. I'm I'm in, I'm in much better frame of mind now. Half an hour into the show, uh, I'm, I'm, my computer psychosis has dissipated. I'm delighted to tell you. So there you go, um, Clayton. Uh, just before we went for a break, you were you were getting into the old Hazard thing. I mean, I, I I kind of titled this Hazard. Where is he at the moment? And actually, what I meant more by that was really what you were alluding to. I'm thinking, where's his head at the moment? Not yeah. Where is he on the pitch? Because we know that that you know a lot of people I was speaking to in the pub yesterday afterwards are like moaning about him going missing, and I'm not so sure. I I, I was thinking. Actually, there were moments in the match where he looked like he was getting back on his game. I mean, that that pass or move with uh, Loftus Cheek, uh, you know, is is a, is a I think a case of that. Uh, my own feeling with with Hazard at the moment, in terms of where he's at, and I think maybe you're right. This does tap into his frustra- frustration. I think he's carrying a lot of knocks, and I think he has been since United when they gave him an absolute shellacking. And I also think that the the pressure that he's under because he's having to carry far too much of a burden in terms of the create creativity of the side and the goal scoring in the absence of, you know, strikers who can hold the ball up or, or take the heat off him. I mean, I think Giroud did okay yesterday, but no more than okay. Uh, and, and I think Hazard's really having to carry far too much of a burden. And, and I think, I think that might be why he's getting frustrated, but I'm sure you've got your own ideas on that. Uh, uh, I, yesterday I just picked up a sort of a, a definitely a vibe that he was sort of getting a little bit fed up uh, with what was going on around him. It might have been general frustration with our play rather than anybody in particular. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that he's not the player he was at the beginning of the season when we were all sort of eulogising about how well he was playing and how much of a difference Sarri has made because he's released him from the the evil clutches of the of the villain, uh, Mr. Conte. I don't know. I mean, you know, part of me thinks that and the other part of me thinks that when we're playing teams like Fulham, he's the one that should be creating the chances because they're defending so heavily and all the rest of it. He is our genius. He should be doing more. Now, that might be unfair, and as you alluded to, it might be a burden which is weighing very heavily on him because he can't do it all on his own. Um, and unfortunately... Might it, be, might it be that he's just fed up with some of the other players not being very good? Do you wonder that? If you're supposed to be playing in an elite team who are supposedly be, uh, 
going to be qualifying for the Champions League next season. And both strikers seem to be completely... I mean, Giroud was way off the pace of the weekend. Uh, yeah, again, I, I sort of... I, I just say to you that basically the the first half, he wasn't. He really wasn't. He basically was quite lively in the first half, but he, like virtually everybody else, was not very good in the second half. He didn't get any service in the second half. Um, yes, Hazard may be frustrated, but, you know, how long ago was it that he basically said that Giroud was one of the best front men in the world to play off? So, yeah. I'm not sure he. I'm not sure that Eden Hazard is a sort of person who says things like that for the sake of it. Because I, I perceive that he's actually, you know, he's a proper football man, and and if you know, if, if that was his way of saying, I'd rather play with him than the Spanish bloke who couldn't hit the back arse of a banjo or whatever it is, you know, the banjo. Anyway, with, with a barn door, yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, I don't know, but it was just it was just interesting watching Hazard, and, and as I said, there's there's a sort of a part. I, I've sort of split down the middle. Part of me thinks you're the one that's got to do this, mate, because you are the best one out there. And part of me thinking, like you say, he can't do it all on his own. But I don't, you know, there needs to be another focus up front to give him a little bit of space, but he's going to get double marked, isn't he, every game he plays because he is that good a player. But that's the point, isn't it, mate? You know, if he had somebody, you know, decent up front who can, who can occupy, I mean, you know, a very good centre forward is going to occupy a minimum of one defender and occasionally two. I mean, Costa was was an animal and he was a handful for anybody. That's that's the perfect example, isn't it? As was Drogba, you know, same with him. So and what what have we got? We've got Morata who came on, and I've got to say, I'm I, and I, I'm feeling there's a tinge of guilt to this because I'm going to hammer him again. But I thought he was really poor again. He missed a sitter, an absolute sitter, just awful. He fell over a lot, got booked for descent, and that was no, it. He, you know, he the ball away. Kicked the ball away. Oh, I forgot that he also gave the ball away. Thank you, Jonathan. So no, no, it was a classic no, no, Morata. No, kick the ball away for the, for the, when he was um, given the yeah, well, yellow that's card. Yeah, no, no, dissent is verbal. All right, fair enough. He still got booked though, didn't he, for being a tit? That's the point. Yeah, completely <laughs> for being an ass. No, completely, yeah, completely being, a, being a, a total prat. It was yeah. awful. He was awful. Yeah, and I can't believe classic that we're Murata, mate. Classic, classic Murata. Yeah. I mean, look. Here's I don't, the thing. I don't, here's the thing, you know, boys. Here's yeah. the thing, boys. Uh, the two questions that occurred to me, given that, and I mean, you know, he scored a super goal against the pub team from Greece. Okay, fair enough. Lovely header, great ball in. Um, but his whole demeanour, he, he, he looked to have the hump because Giroud had scored two goals, uh, who was his direct competition. And he, he looked completely quite sullen and petulant when he scored that goal in his, in his non-celebration. So anyway, the question that, that, that's on my mind is, I mean, how long do we wait before we actually admit that he's just not and never will be good enough? And how long do we wait before the lack of a striker cripples either the season or Hazard? There you go. Clayton, I'll ask you first. Uh, I think the, the point's come and gone. I wouldn't spend any more time with him. I really wouldn't. I mean, to be honest with you, I know it's his prerogative, but if you score a goal for your club, you don't look like you've just you know, you've committed some sort of heinous crime. 
you celebrate. I'm yeah. sorry. If, if you cannot celebrate a goal for your club, irrespective of how meaning it, meaningless it is, um, that's, that's just not on. I remember when Torres did that. I can't remember. I think it might have been one of his last games he played for us. We, we played Cardiff last game of the season. And we and we won, and it was a meaningless game. But he scored. wasn't interested in celebrating. I don't like that. I really, really don't like that. You know, I know it's a naive sort of childlike thing, but any one of us would give our whatever. We'd give anything to be what what these guys are, and to sort of just. I'm not naive enough to think that it. You know, it's nothing more than a job, but not even celebrating, but. The perversely, when Loftus Cheek scored yesterday, he was one of the first people on his back celebrating with him, and all this, that, and the other. He's a just a, a very, very sort of complex bloke. Um, but as you said, he's not a killer, and we need a killer. And yes, I know they spent a lot of money on him, but you got to cut your losses. He's, I don't know, I mean, if you've a one, fine, get rid of him. I'd rather, Mate. I'd rather, you're gone. I was going to say, you know, Accrington Stanley can bloody well have him as far as I'm concerned. Talking of Accrington Stanley, we've got Knott's Forest at home in the FA Cup. Just thought I'd let you know. Have we? What a shame it's at home. I'd have loved to have gone up there. Love Nottingham. Ditto. Yeah, Ditto. love Nottingham. Well, they'll come so with that... their plastic European Cups again, won't they? Which they'd hold up as they did last time we played well, them. To be fair to them, Jonathan, they've got two more, one more than we have. Not many sides yeah. can say that. It's becoming a little bit ancient, though, isn't it? That's the trouble. It's when you, you know, it's how long is it? It's 33 years for them or something, 35 years. I know. I shouldn't admit this, but I I actually really enjoyed them winning the European Cup. I'm a huge fan of Brian Clough's. Oh, me too. They were wonderful. No, but when when they'd won the European Cup, that was when... We 77, all supported English teams in Europe yeah, then. That's true. Well, you not know, Liverpool. When Li- yeah, no, even when Liverpool no, won no. it. I've never supported Liverpool. Hate them. Well, I think you'll find that, you know, that was a general thing when Liverpool won it, when Forrest won it, when yeah, we just. I, I know kept it was. Winning. I know it was. But I'm just talking about my own personal issues <laughs> here. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, I was quite chuffed when Villa, uh, Villa won it. To be fair, you know, I love. I, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Basically, it was, it was delightful growing up as a kid in the seventies, to see English sides absolutely dominating Europe in the European Cup and and the UEFA whatever it was. You know, we had about three cups then, didn't we? And we dominated yep. them all. And I and I loved that. But you know, I was I was quite begrudging of Liverpool's success in Europe. Uh, nevertheless, anyway, we we are digressing hugely. What on earth yep. are we talking about? We were talking about Morata, oh, and I said we've got Knott's Forest in the FA Cup. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Anyway, the the point is, no, I don't. Um, the point is that I've, I've given up with him. I just, yeah. I, I mean, I don't care if there is a decent striker in there somewhere. I'm sure there is. But if he don't want to be here, I don't want him to be here. And I'd yeah. much rather um, we just buy somebody else in who, who wants to run around and do do their best for us. Jonathan, um, do you think the club will be brave enough to ship him out in January? I mean, I would if I was running it, but hey, that's me. Oh, I don't know. Very good point, Chidge. Um I mean, they'd need a replacement, clearly. And there's, therein lies the problem. Yes. Well, there's all this, this, this groundswell for Abraham to return, isn't there? 
No, I mean there is, but that's. I there think is. that's no, not it, solve no, anything. It, no, of course it won't solve anything. No, completely and utterly. No, in fact, what I've been depressed by this week on Twitter has been the the uh, the overwhelming flood of people wanting to. Um, whenever there's a, 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 whenever we don't play well, just for one or two games, um, instantly the the. Um, uh, the reaction is uh, uh, that we should populate the first team with all the youth again, which always seems to come up when there's a problem. And I would always say, yes, by all means. And what was it? Get Nathan Ake back. Apparently there's a buyout clause. I don't think there is. 20 million, you're unlikely to have a buyout clause to get him back. Why would you want to get him back anyway? Because apparently he's proven himself at Bournemouth. Um, get Abraham in. He scored four goals, but it was against Nottingham Forest in the championship. I really don't think so. Um, and they're, uh, they now want Mount as well. And um, um, Christensen, of course, and it must play with Ampadu. Um, and, and anybody, and Hudson-Odoi must get a start. And um, this, it's, it's just well, so unlikely Jonathan, to produce... Yeah, I, say, I, I, know it's, I know it's a slightly old-fashioned view, but... I'm beginning to warm to it because, of course, we'd get relegated and that would be quite oh, fun and nostalgic, indeed. wouldn't it? You know, it'd well, be quite they, fun yeah, to go and visit some weird grounds in Division 2 again. It, it, my, my, exactly, my, my, my response to everybody, particularly there's a Facebook page I respond to, is that we will finish 17th or 18th when these people are. Get them all out. They're no good. None of them are any good anymore. Get them all out. As if, how would you get them all out? They're all on huge salaries and contracts. You know, how are you supposed to do that? There's a, there's a kind of, of, of um, Shangri-La. There's a cloud cuckoo land that people seem <laughs> to want to take refuge in. Uh, that that this will be the way to solve everything. Is they've got this great ca- academy that produces all these wonderful players. Very few of whom I'm afraid we ever see again starring on the main stage. Nobody seems to point that out. And they all need to be used as soon as possible. Well, yes, if they come through and they're good enough absolutely give them a go but somehow we are stunting them from getting in this is what the implication is from everybody we are deliberately the board is somehow deliberately uh, well they're just being they're being myopic they're just not being they haven't got their eyes open about this at all they're just uh, um they're, they're being stubborn and won't get them and the answer to your, your question change originally of course was will we get anybody in in january and uh, so i've got off on one again talking about abraham but, uh, you know, Abraham is definitely not the answer. But um, uh, if you were to get rid of Maratio, it wouldn't surprise me if he made an appearance in January just as a, as a, as a backup, if they hadn't managed to get themselves a backup anyway. Then Giroud's going to play for the rest of the season. Because yeah, I agree completely uh, 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 with Clayton. Uh, 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 yeah. Not so sure. Not so sure. And the reason for that is I don't think that Giroud's capable of playing every game in the season. We've got so many games coming up, you know, two a week. I don't think his legs are up for that, mate. And that's, yeah. an, that's well, an additional issue. Yeah. yeah. That's well, why they well, need to get no, the somebody in. It's not the alternative. They, they've now gone mad over it in the standard. Now, this Pulisic is apparently a, apparently a done deal, despite me thinking this was just, once again, a, a Twitter creation, which the media have absolutely fallen in love with um, because they want another wide player. Well, perhaps he's then going to play, try and play without the striker as... Napoli. I keep referring to Napoli all the time um, because Napoli are playing wonderfully and he got it right at Napoli, Sarri. So if all this lot suddenly can't play for him for some reason, um, perhaps 
he has to go along with replacing some of them. Uh, and if he then does get people who can come in and play the way that he wants, well, perhaps that may be the uh, may be the answer. But I, I, it just seem, it seems a shame to me that everything started so wonderfully at the beginning of the season, and they all they all played yeah. the way that everybody wanted, and it seems to have suddenly the last two games well, it's become terribly negative. Hopefully, we will find an answer to that later. I'm bloody hoping so because I'm posing the question to you in a minute. Anyway, before we do that, J.K. Uh, we have Mr. Uh, goalie. What's the, it's goalie fifty nine, isn't it, on Twitter, Clayton? It is, and it's goalie for a reason. You love goalkeepers, and uh, I'll tell you what, mate. I'm beginning to fall massively in love with Kepa Arethabaleg. Oh God, I did an Alan Brazil. I did an Adam Brazil. I cannot believe it. Uh, Kepa Arethabalega, not bad. Arethabalega, not yeah. bad. Not bad, uh, but I am beginning to fall in love with him. I mean, you know, he's been performing really well, I think, for the last few weeks. But I thought he, uh, you know, a couple of saves uh, that he made on Saturday absolutely kept us in the game at a yep. point when Fulham were on top. Um, thing is, mate, uh, and he's helping us to keep clean sheets, which is kind of what he's paid to do. But it's good to see because we know that the defence can be a bit vulnerable. Um, but the thing is that really intrigued me is we we seem to have signed yet again uh, another great keeper uh, this one also very young which is good and it just makes me think how do we keep doing this I mean you know you go back I mean whatever we think of Courtois and we all think he's a snake he's a bloody good keeper really you know when it boils down to it uh, and of course we had Petr Cech we had uh, Kudacini before him you know we seem to have this gravy train of superb goalkeepers at the moment yeah um I, I, it's really funny, as I said at the start of the show, um, my CFC UK piece this month is is about Kepa. Um, and, yeah, I've sort of um, just been impressed with him. I've been impressed with him on, on so many levels. I think the thing is that he's come in, um, he's not the biggest goalkeeper. He's 24 and he's basically just not at any stage looked out of his depth. You know, he's come in, it's a different league, it's a different country. Um, he's come into a team who completely playing a different system. So the defence has looked very vulnerable um, on a lot of occasions this season. And he hasn't been out of step at all now. Um I think in the first game at home against Arsenal, he possibly could have saved the first goal, but it was his home debut. And as, as I said at the time, you know, if he wasn't nervous, he wasn't human. Um, I think the goal that we let in against Spurs, the second goal, he should have saved, um, but he was wrong footed. I mean, I still think he should have done better. But the bottom line is, without him against Spurs, we we would have let in the seven or six or seven goals that they potentially could have beaten us by. Um, the save that he made yesterday, the first save from the corner, was a superb save. Um, principally, one because it was just a very good save, and two because he could have actually had a paperback on the go in the first half. Um, he hadn't really had anything to do, and that's some, always the mark of a, a great goalkeeper: somebody who does nothing. Um, that's why Czech was so good, um, was because, especially when Mourinho was in charge, we used to dominate games to such an extent that he would see the ball maybe two, three times a game. Um, 
No, I think this guy can just get better and better and better. I mean, keepers get better as they get older. And he looks fantastic. He doesn't ever seem flat. Um, he doesn't seem to really um, ever lose it with his defence. He did against Spurs, but I mean, who, who can blame him? But no, he is the real deal. Um, I, I think I said right at the beginning of the season where I think we raised the question on the uh, Love Sports show, I made this sort of quite perverse comment that he looks like a goalkeeper. And he does. He looks really, really good. He looks natural. Um, I am the, the, the last person in Stamford Bridge that doesn't hate Courtois. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but if if you had to criticise Courtois, um, and we're talking about his goalkeeping now and not his um, his personality, is he was very stiff. And he would basically, he would always lead with his legs rather than his hands. Um, not and his, had not his nose then. Or his nose. Um, and, you know, the, the, the worst example being when we lost at Barcelona last year. Um, whereas this guy closer to the ground, more agile. I haven't seen yet because we haven't had that many shots, whether he's a better shot stopper. Um, yeah, I mean, the second save he made <clears throat> yesterday was very good, but as us goalkeepers used to say, it was for the cameras. You know, that's the sort of save that you'd expect him to make, but it, it, it looked good. No, he's good. He's very good. I'm very happy with him. Um, and I haven't even mentioned how good he is with his feet. It was really a couple of occasions yesterday where he he does things so that the defence don't have to think about it. He's there, edge of his area, with his feet. And that is something that Courtois didn't do. And, yeah, he's is he an upgrade on Courtois? We'll have to wait and see. You know, Thibaut was a good keeper, is a good keeper, um, but this guy looks like he can be even better. Tell you what, Clayton, that I have noticed, and I actually think he's—I I think he's better than Courtois. I really do. And uh, if it, if there's anything else, I mean, you've pretty much covered why I, I think he is. But the final point is that his, um, you know, his ability with with the ball. You know, there was a a moment yesterday when Louise, in a in a, in a brain fart moment, hoofed the ball from the halfway line. You know, punted it basically back to him. Yeah, far too hard, and he controlled it with one touch, like a yeah. like a midfield player would. So yeah. he's very much of that modern ilk, isn't he? He can kind of play as the sweeper as well as the keeper. Yeah, so, he uh, is, and and yeah. we and we certainly didn't have that with Courtois, and Courtois um, was in many respects more clumsy. Courtois was, you know, the the thing that really hacks me off with all of this um, debate about keepers and the feet and all the rest of it. And it's a bit like wicket keepers. All I want them to be able to do as a number one yeah. is basically stop the bloody ball, Yeah, you know, and everybody, Absolutely. you know, because that, that whole thing about wicket keepers. Yeah, but he can't bat. And like Jack Russell, greatest wicket keeper there was got replaced because he wasn't good enough with a bat. Um, and Scored that's a few what, centuries mind Clayton. Yeah, but he still got dropped. He got struck. Yeah, but that's because they needed to accommodate Alex Stewart. Alex Stewart. That was why. Yeah, yeah. but you know, the point this being, this boy, folks, is great, the, though, isn't he? Folks is great. Yes, very good, very good. But the point is that the most important thing for a goalkeeper, as far as I'm concerned, 
is stopping the ball going in the net. Yeah, totally. But that is the game's evolving, and it's not. You know, it's going to change. That's going to mm-hmm. become not the most important thing. The most important thing is how the goalkeeper recycles the ball to the rest of the team. And that's certainly the way Pep plays. And that's how the rest of us are playing at the moment. JK, anything to add on that, on Kepa? Uh, I think he's becoming vocal as well. I've seen him shouting at a few people. So uh, he's getting the confidence to do that and organising them in a way that Courtois never did. So uh, I think... um, I think Clayton has, has got it absolutely right, but he's a he's a proper keeper, and uh, and as you said, Chid, we've uh, we've done it again, getting somebody really excellent in. But I think they did their research very properly on him in a way that they clearly didn't with Morata, um, and you wonder whether that was uh, Conte's influence, uh, really pressing them to buy him. Whereas in this instance. Uh, they, uh, it was very le- a very left field purchase, wasn't it? Well, none well, of you, us knew, you, did we? None of well, us you, knew at all. And you yet, say it but, was left field, Jonathan. It was left field for us as a fan. For us, yes, yeah, but for the that's what but I mean. But the club have the obviously club were absolutely on it. Absolutely. Oh, completely. And I don't yeah. really think that they, you know, we we go to town on them, don't we? About this, that, and the other. And they should be doing this, and they should be doing that. But they brought this guy in from nowhere, <clears throat> as far as we were concerned. But they'd obviously had him scouted for, they must have scouted him the whole of last season, and maybe even before that, because they must have realised what was happening with Courtois. And they've gone out, and they've, I mean, it's a huge risk for that amount of money. I know that we, it was basically half what we paid for him because we got the money for Courtois. But what a fantastic purchase. Really, really good. And, and the club really wants to take a lot of credit for that. Fair enough. All right. Um, now, I'm going to go back to, uh, you know, JK's uh, bon mot of a, of a few minutes ago, which really is around the idea that, you know, Chelsea, I think, I mean, this is actually funny enough what we were talking about in the pub after the game, but, you know, Chelsea, I think, are playing at the moment like we expected them to play at the beginning of the season, you know, when we thought, oh, you know, it's going to take them, like Sari said, three months for them to adapt to all of this. Um so they're kind of playing like that, having played really, really well at the start of the season. And I mean, the couple of questions I've got off the back of this are, you know, has this uh, kind of good start giving us kind of a false, uh, false expectation in a sense? And the other thing is, um, you know, to be really honest, I've not actually seen any football really... Not, I don't think I've seen football much better than anything I saw last season. OK, there were moments last season when it was beyond awful... Um, and certainly not a patch on some of the stuff that we played, you know, when Conte was on that 13-match uh, winning streak. I mean, that the, the the match against Everton, for example, will live long in the memory. Um, so I kind of wondered, you know, is the jury out on, on Sarri and his style of football at the moment, or what? So, JK, you take it away first. Um, yes, as you say, it seems to be... Uh, um... Us above tit, whatever the uh, the expression is, uh, it seems to be backwards in that suddenly we look vulnerable and possibly not very good at it with the whole of Surismo. Whereas before, we everybody seemed to get it really early on. Um, whether it's that uh, Jorginho's knackered or somehow he's been he's the one who's been found out because um, I noticed Fulham had a man on him. They had. Um, 
uh, the number ten. I can't. Yeah, Kenny all the way through. And in fact, Kenny Kenny is a is a much better player. He, he actually just played that role. Um, he's a really he good player. He's a decent player, isn't he? Yeah, I mm. agree. He did one run across the penalty area, which was excellent. Um, yeah. But other than that, he just seemed to be specifically playing that uh, uh, man marking thing on Jorginho. So once again, you wonder whether. Um, have we been sussed, as you said? I was very anti the idea and just thought, well, he'll Sarri will find another way of playing because surely Jorginho was was man marked in uh, um, in Italy, but uh, uh, perhaps uh, he hasn't got the players around him to deal with it, and perhaps that may be the problem: is that um, because Jorginho is no longer the linchpin. Um, and the other players can't compensate, it's very difficult for them to get out of this this rut because it was as simple as we've said for um, for uh, Ranieri to change it, but by making that tactical, substi- tactical substitution, which Sarri should be good enough to deal with. Um, but I, I wonder whether he just sticks his heels in, digs his heels in and says, well, you try and get out of it, guys. And it's only when he changes it and puts different players in that we can see that... Uh, um, there is another way that he can play, but he seems to be very dogmatic about playing his specific way and hoping the players will somehow just um, uh, improve on the pitch, which I'm I'm not seeing in that period. He doesn't tactically seem to change it. He and but my 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 fear is that I don't see them play. I didn't see them playing his way after the first half. Um, um, as, as you said, it was about 30 minutes, wasn't it? And then we just d- deteriorated, Clayton. And uh, and and I I thought that they I thought that they got very um, they didn't press. They didn't seem to be playing his way as they didn't against Spurs. Um, and and I don't understand why they've suddenly suddenly got this this. He said it was down to nerves, but for me, it's. Uh, it can't be that if you're a professional footballer. You know what you're supposed to be doing. You've got to get further forward. You've got to try and get the ball from them. And if they boot the ball down the pitch and run after it, and that's the only way they can deal with it, which Fulham tried to do, well, fair enough. Then they give the ball away. But we seem to just back off, which isn't his system at all. So uh, I don't I don't understand what this, the group thing is, it, what's happening with the group at the moment, because they just don't seem to, they seem to stop playing the way that he intends. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I haven't answered your question again, Chidge. Sorry, I've gone off on one. But um, uh, I, I, I don't understand why we've got this this problem now when it should have been early on. Um, whether they now doubt themselves because they were taken to the cleaners by Spurs. Uh, well, no, they've that, been playing playing you know below par for before that. No, they have, they have, but only in the first few minutes. Then they've first fifteen minutes. Then they've when at the Everton game, everybody said we'd fallen apart and we were sussed. In the second half, we were all over them because we we just they they ran around like mad things for the first half and couldn't sustain it. And that's the way people try and play against Man City. The Bournemouth are pretty good for the first twenty minutes the other day, but then couldn't couldn't manage to deal with the whole the whole way that. Uh, they were the attrition that that is is served up for them by Man City. Um, no, so I, I'm I, I'm wondering why what it seems to be a, a kind of group psyche thing, which I don't get. Um, uh, and I and I think he wants to try and persist with the players because he that's what he says he does. 
doesn't he, Sarri? He said he's, he can make anybody play his system. Well, they seem to be having, some of them appear to be having great difficulty playing his system still. And they never have quite got it right. And and uh, Azpilicueta is one of them who has had a, a very poor season considering the great player that he is. Um, and, uh, and and they have deteriorated, as you say, Chidge. Mm. Well, I've got I've got a theory of my own, J.K. and Clayton. I, I, I'll share this with you. And uh, you know, on the one hand, I, I I would like to you know be patient and agree with Sarri. You know, I mean, it would be quite fun to see us play a completely different way. Not so much fun not to win anything. Uh, you know, again, but hey. Um, but you know, the the real issue for me is I, I wonder if they are physically and mentally tired. And the reason for that is that it's well known that Sarri, uh, even more than Conte, it should be said, is an ultra uh, detail merchant and, you know, fills their heads with instruction and instruction after instruction in terms of patterns of play. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people listening will know about uh, Chiloba, his uh, experience when he was on loan at Napoli, and there were 33 different ways to take a throw in, which you were supposed to remember. Um, I would be stuffed. I can't even remember who I am half the time. Um, so, you know, when you're overloaded with that, um, you just, you'd get, literally, you are overwhelmed. You're overloaded. Mentally, you just phase out because you can't, you can't keep that all in your head anymore. I don't care how good you are or how professional you are. When you get overloaded with, da- overloaded with data, you go fut like my computer does. So I, thought, I think that there might be some mental uh, fatigue going on which might, might understand the mentality, certainly at the beginning of games, rather than being right at it, they're too busy thinking what they have to do. And then, of course, there's the other side, which is the physical fatigue. And we know that uh, for various reasons, a bit like Conte, actually, uh, he's only really um, playing 14 players regularly. And I think seven of those 14, he's playing 90-odd percent of the time. So basically... Then there's not there's no recovery for most of these players, and we've seen him play, you know, okay, weakened sides if you like in the Europa Cup, but you're still getting a lot of the players playing. So I, I'm wondering, Clayton, if it's a mix of physical and mental fatigue for those two reasons, and that's what we're seeing, and, and that worries me because this is what we saw with Conte to a degree, I think, as well. I think it's a very valid point. Um, I am concerned that he is doing what Conte did and what Mourinho did is that he's basically playing the same core week in, week out. Even when we were playing, you know, the the pub team, he took out, he made Jorginho play, he had Kante playing because he wanted to qualify. He wanted to qualify early, which is, is sort of, admirable to a certain extent but by the same token you have to look at these teams that we were playing and they were rubbish you know we, we've won that group we let in one goal um i know we've got one one sort of uh, game to go but he's he's basically showing that he is relying on a, a core of players and i think that the the effect is twofold i think it's it's basically um one, as you say, you're going to knacker people physically and mentally. But I think that's quite worrying in December. I mean, if this was happening in February, I'd say fine. Uh, and the other thing is that you're going to create discontent within the squad. Because, for example, OK, yesterday was awful with Alonso. 
that if Emerson is not playing on Wednesday or even on the bench on Wednesday, and I mean, he might already think this, but he's going to think, what the hell have I got to do to get in this side? You know, David Louise, who started on Saturday, was very lucky to start on Saturday because he was awful against Spurs. Now, I'm not saying that you should basically drop somebody after one bad game, but the point is that, I don't know if you remember, but when we had, um, when Branner was coming towards the end of his time at the club, he played week in, week out, and in his last season, he wasn't very good, but Mourinho just kept picking him. And it said to everybody else in the squad, doesn't matter how shit the first team play, you're not getting in. So I'm sort of concerned, but I, I think it's, I I think it's admirable that he wants to make his style of play work. Now you basically say you haven't seen anything this year, which is radically different from what Conte was doing no, last I, I year. I said better, not different. Better. better. Okay, better. I think that a lot of our stuff is better. Uh, because we're basically on the front foot and not on the back foot. And I think that's the major difference. Um, I think I'd that... I agree with that. Um, the, when you look at our second goal on um, on Sunday, it was brilliant. You know, I don't care. I know I'm biased, but you look at that second goal, the one-touch movement and passing it was fantastic. Now, it may be that at the moment he hasn't got the players that he wants. He's still got a pretty good side. We haven't got a centre forward. We haven't got a focal point. And the midfield is something that he's working on and it's not quite working at the moment. Um, So I think he needs to be given... I think he needs to be given time. Now... I know Jonathan's very much the opinion that you think he is going to be given that time and he's here for the long run, which is which is great. I mean, we know how impatient our owner is and, and the club just generally. But there are things and he will change personnel. Um, I think as long as we see something, the, the only thing, as I said earlier, he is, I need to see something that he can change it when it's not working. Because there must have been times in Napoli where the team was being beaten and he had to do something to change it. I mean, I thought managerially against Tottenham, it was just appalling. You know, we were awful in that first half. Why he didn't change it in the second half by bringing changing it around? I mean, Barkley came on, he played really well. It was too late by the time he came on. It was finished. It was done. I want to see that. That that's the only thing that I would say at the moment. I think he needs to be given time because I think it's you know it's worth persevering with. Fair point, mate. And I I have to be honest. I agree with that. And I and I did make the point in the script actually that you know it is a work in progress. He's always said that. What I do like is his honesty as a manager. Yeah. Maybe a bit too honest with Kante perhaps last week, but generally I I like that honesty. There's no mind games. There's no bullshit. Um, and, you know, it's going to take these guys a while to get to grips with this system. And and I think there's also an issue that there are going to be players that we've got in that squad who are never going to be able to play that system. They were bought for a completely different type of football. Yeah. Um, 
So there's going to have to be a process of shipping some out and shipping some in. And, and, I, and I, in, a, in a sense, I think it's, like I said right at the beginning of this, I think it's kind of in a, in a weird sense, it's a shame we started as well as we did, because I think that has given us a load of false expectations. Um, and I hope that that won't count against him, which ironically it might. Right, uh, I'm going to finish this part up. Just a few minutes, boys, because we're already at 40 on this part. But um, I just want to revisit uh, what you were both saying about Fulham, the Fulham fans. And, um, you know, a lot of things going on with this, uh, you know. But let, let's start with the Fulham fans. I mean, they were well up for it. Um, and I think, you know, I think you were right, actually, that, you know, uh, they they did go all a bit QPR, didn't they? They were very quite 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 bilious, I thought. And there was the graffiti on the wall, and there were there were about five seventeen year olds, probably eleven year olds actually, that were kettled by the police, much to the amusement of everybody at the CFC UK stall in their Stone Island. What was you know, the graffiti, Chidge? I didn't know that. What was up that? the Fulham? They forgot to put up the Fulham Road, which of course would have been more appropriate, really, because yeah. I thought yeah, it was a direction, really. Um, <laughs> But, you know, the bottom line is, is that they try and... Pre- I mean, we, you know, Jonathan and I were on the show, on the Love Sports show on Friday. We couldn't find a Fulham fan anywhere that really had any, you know, enmity about Chelsea. That was a bit of envy. So I was kind of thinking that maybe something else has, has gone on here. And, um, you know, let's be really honest here, chaps. They were quite loud, which is very unfulham like I mean, I know they were pretty vile, but they were also very loud. I've never heard of Fulham away support... As loud as that. I mean, Fulham's away support you could normally take in a minivan. But this lot were different. And I, something occurred to me, boys. It kind of... What occurred to me was this. I wonder how many of their quite young support as well... It, I mean, you know, the majority... Well, I wouldn't say the majority, but a lot of them are young. A lot of them are kind of late teens, early 20s. And I was kind of thinking, I wonder how many of that lot might actually have been Chelsea fans had they only been able to get a ticket... And the reason that made me think that was that their songs had a an uncanny resemblance to the the most abusive and leeriness that Chelsea supporters, you know, are quite famous for, and we need to own that. Um, you know, the, I mean, the graffiti on the Fulham Road was just stupid. But of course, the other thing about Fulham is that they've got a very very cheap uh, youth ticket pricing policy, and and I, and I know this is kind of in a sense anecdotal, but. Um, you know, if you're young and you want to go to Chelsea, you've got no chance. You can't get a season ticket. You're in a, in a lottery for, uh, you know, a ticket if you're a member with about 90 million others or whatever it is. Um, and then, you know, the juvenile section, uh, you know, whilst the tickets are cheaper, you've got to go accompanied by an adult at 17. I mean, for Christ's sake, you've got to be accompanied by an adult and you can only sit in the East Stand Lower which is, you know, God's waiting room, or the creche, actually, in that case. So if I'm, if I'm 18 or 19, and I, I, I want to support Chelsea, but I want to go to football, I'm thinking, well, bollocks, I'll go to Fulham, and then all, all my mates can come, all, and we can all be together, all, and we can all be a bit leery and naughty. So I'm wondering, guys, uh, if that might be the reason why I, we saw a very different uh, Fulham away support yesterday. I'm going to ask you this first, Clayton. I think it's a brilliant point. I really do. Um, I I certainly hadn't ever thought about that um, when I saw the script. I thought, blimey, you could be you could be onto something there. I don't know. I mean, it it, it, it could be, but I mean, are you basically saying that that is 
what our support would be like if if we basically had the um, if we had the affordable tickets. Are you yeah. saying this this is what we would be like? Obnoxious, but, but, unpleasant. No, no, I, I, we are obnoxious. We were obnoxious. We yeah. have a long history of being obnoxious. Let's not run away from that. And I yeah, think yeah. the reason no, I well, make... that's that's why I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I had a, a a conversation with a very good friend of mine on Twitter who's a big Fulham fan, and I said to him, I I, I basically said, you know, I thought you were unlucky today. I thought you played well. I think you'll be all right. Um, I was shocked at your fans and what they were singing. I thought it was vile and just really wasn't like you. And he said, I agree. Um, you know, he's older generation. Um, but are they like that cottage? Are they, are they as loud nah. as loud? I don't well, think so. Not, I, I, listen, I haven't been. The last time I went to the the... Craven Cottage was when Louise scored that amazing goal and I was sitting with Fulham season ticket holders and well they didn't know it was Chelsea because obviously I, I didn't say anything but I just sat around them all pleasant family people you know no swearing it was it was just how I perceive Fulham to be and have been for years there's always been an enmity because it's a jealousy because it's yeah, you know absolutely it, it's basically it's well, the same as it wasn't in the 50s there wasn't in the 50s they used to sing dear old pals jolly old pals at the end of the uh, of the game <laughs> no but i mean you know just interestingly recent very... times you, you could agree yeah. that there's been an envy yes. because everybody's yes. oh, definitely recent times definitely. yeah and qpr but you, you don't have to go that far back in history i mean God bless him, King Canners. I saw King Canners scoring a one-all draw at Craven Cottage, and Fulham were pushing for promotion, and we were trying to stay up. You know, I mean, they they were better than we were. You know, early seventies, mid seventies, QPR were much better than we were, but they was never that, went to win anything. Vo- was that his volley from the uh, the right hand side of the? Uh, yeah, it was towards yeah. the. Um, the riverside would have been he would have been on the riverside side because i was just yeah. just just on the corner flag there i remember seeing it and just being joyous about it and leaping up yeah well we were, we were we were seriously rubbish at the time and fulham were very good and to get one all draw there was was a good good thing but i mean just going back just this thing i was just i don't know you expect the vitriol from liverpool you expect the vitriol from manu although manu's away fans are fantastic you know absolutely brilliant like ours are you know they're singing and I think the point is that a lot of it and a lot of the noise and the atmosphere that's created by away fans is that is the fact that when you're at home you're all sitting down you're all sort of split up from your mates and 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 which which is why the atmosphere was so awful has been for the last couple of home games but we should not detract from the fact that a 12 o'clock kickoff is shite a 5.30 kickoff is shite yep. you know these are not you know 12 three o'clock's o'clock. worse though clayton because you can't be in the pub for three hours before yeah and it's just you know nobody's up for it i mean obviously they were so they're making a liar of me but but home fans and no but we weren't no we weren't but that's but i also think because I also our demographic think that that... is is we're we're exactly. older than the 12 year olds that were chanting yeah. all that vile exactly crap. and that is modern football you know we've allowed our 
you know, fan. Well, what can you do? What are they going to do? Kick us all out? I mean, there's there's the other side of that coin, you know. But basically, yeah. we've got a very old demographic in the stadium. They've never really accommodated our youth support. They've therefore possibly defected to Fulham or or seize an opportunity. I've got a really strong feeling about that. Um, but I think the other thing is, as I said, it's not a derby for it's not a real derby for us. I think it is for them for various reasons. Um, so you know, let's be honest. At Stamford Bridge recently, if we're playing a team we don't really give a shit about, we don't make much noise. I mean, right. you know, we will if it's United or Spurs or Arsenal or Liverpool. But if it's anybody else, then we just sit there, you know, seeing what will happen. And and I think possibly that's about modern football too. You know, I think there's all sorts of issues coming into play here, aren't there, Jonathan? Yeah, I'm I'm not convinced, Chidge, that they would want to all go to Fulham deliberately because they can get access to a Premier League side. Because... I'm, I'm thinking. No, hang on a minute. You need to understand the context of this. I'm not saying that kids who are Chelsea supporters who have been going no, since no, the no, age no, of no, five. I defect no, i no. think that if you grow up in the area and you want to go and see football it's going to be easier to go to fulham if you're at school and all your mates go to fulham because it's easier to go there and it's cheaper you'll end up going there but you don't want to be associated with an, a not very good club who get relegated consistently and don't win anything so uh, i'm i'm not convinced that that's the case i still think Many. Not everybody wants to win as much as you do, J.K., which, of course, is to your credit, <laughs> I should I should say, is to your credit. But not everybody yeah. is, you know. Some people would like the laugh, the buzz. Yeah, I suppose that that when I first started sporting Chelsea, I wasn't... They were, well, exactly. So, uh, Mind it, you, we just won the title when you first started sporting Chelsea, so <laughs> you're a bloody well, glory hunter, you are. Yeah, entirely, yeah, as a, as a, as a baby. Yeah, I was already, I was going, wah, we won the title, wah, wah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, possibly, that's, that's decent, because when I was about eight, and, eight, eight to nine, I appreciated what, uh, um, what Chelsea were more about, uh, and they weren't winning anything at all at the time. They just, in fact, come up from the, come up from the second division um but yeah i suppose yeah that's a that, that, that that's a good point to bring up with the club actually i i think I they don't think care club, they don't care they don't they don't care at all if you have you has this well, been something you've 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 encountered yeah. at the, yeah. the trust I mean, they do care about the youth but i think they're just you know you know hollow words to me um but the other reality that they have which is the point that i made a minute ago what can they do? Can they, like, you know, email a third of their support who have season tickets who are over the age of 50 and say, I'm very sorry, but we are revoking your season ticket because you're, you're too old and we need to make way for younger people? I mean, how's that going yeah. to go? How's that going to work? Yeah. I mean, because that's what they'd have to do. Well, it would all work better if we were in a different, in a bigger stadium, because then you could have uh, specific access for kids. So perhaps you could. Uh, that's, that may be the. Uh, that may be the answer. Well, yeah, it's but re- even if they rebuild, the re- even if 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 they rebuild the stadium, uh, you know, the the amount of the, the numbers that we're talking about are are really very small in terms of an uplift of a genuine season ticket holder stroke members and youth are part of that. Even though they made a big thing of it, saying that they're going to try and get people from the local community in and and the yeah. youngsters in, but yeah. I mean, you know, we're talking under ten thousand. It's not enough. You, well, know, so you need you need an it, eighty grand stadium if you want to do that. It would be a start, though, wouldn't it? Um, it would be a start. I'm, I'm not it, knocking it, but I'm just saying it might not be the answer to the problem. 
And I think the one of the reasons they have to give the seats away at Fulham is because they can't get enough people to come and watch them in the first place. Yeah. Right, boys, we we have rambled on so absolutely brilliantly here. Uh, and I have to say, it's not all Jonathan. Uh, Clayton and I have also played a very fair part of that. So I'm going to wrap this part up, uh, but I'm going to end it on this note, Jonathan. You're going to like this. Uh, Dean Mears, CFC UK, says, or, this is to solve the problem about too many old people in the stadium, uh, or they'd have to start spreading the flu virus around the stadium to see if they can get rid of a few. So if I was you, uh, you, me and Clayton are all going to start wearing those flu masks from now on, well, in case Dean's about. I just, uh, Dean, you're spot on, mate, because I've just had the injection last week and I've got the bloody symptoms and I'm feeling absolute rubbish. So, uh, yeah, it's. I think that's what what will happen. I think they'll give every, everybody gets the flu injection, and slowly but surely they'll just get iller and iller, and we won't be able to attend any football matches. So I think it's happening already. Well, Jonathan, fair play for you for turning up tonight if you're not feeling well. Um, no, I'm right. I, yeah, I've not been well for the past month actually, but you know, oh, I mate. keep going. I keep going, Chidge. I keep trying. Oh, good boy. Right. Excuse me, I'm munching on something when I shouldn't be, which is very bad of me. But in part three, uh, we're going to discuss what, well, <laughs> we might do because we're running out of time. But maybe a very quick chat about our prospects against Wolves and uh, on Wednesday and City on Saturday. Then we've got some great emails for Jonathan to read out with questions for us to answer. See you in a second. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match... And they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month. And you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. 
Welcome back to the Chelsea Fancast. It's your Uncle Stamford Chidge. We are refreshed after our half-time break, which is just as well because Jonathan's got a lot of reading to do and I know he's not 100% tonight, so he's he's battling on carrying an injury, which is the kind of trooper that he is. Now, look, before we start going on to the emails, mate, very, very quickly, uh, how do you think it's going to go with Wolves? How do you think it's going to go with City, Jonathan? Um, we should beat Wolves because Wolves are on a very... Um, precarious dip um, but we mustn't perform as we performed against Fulham in the second half but we are far superior to them uh, but I, I suspect it'll be a draw actually I think it'll be 1-1 uh, I think we're going to lose uh, to City about 3 or 4-0 oh dear I'm afraid really? yeah really? I, I think they are vastly superior to anything. However, we will make a, a fist of it in a way that we didn't last year under Conti. We won't... So we might go down in flames? Yes, I reckon. Well, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. If we give it a go, no. kick a few of them, why not? You know. Absolutely. Clayton, what say you, dear boy? I think Wolves will be tough. I know they're on a, on a, a bad run, but I mean, that always makes me nervous when teams are on dreadful runs and then we play them. Um... I just think basically playing midweek away from home, um, it's going to be tough. Um, as Jonathan said, we should win. Um, I don't think we'll lose. Um, City is going to be very, very chastening, I suspect. I don't know. I mean, basically, we thought Liverpool were going to do it, didn't they? We thought they were going to absolutely kill us, and they didn't. Yeah, it depends who... You know, that we might raise our game against them. Well, I think we probably will. And I think all the atmosphere that was missing yesterday, I think that will be oh, a really good atmosphere yeah. on Sunday. Absolutely. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go for a draw. Mm. I think okay. what, well, I'm, about, I'm... it's got a lot to do with the opposition. I really think it's a lot to do with the opposition. I think Fulham, we, people just can't get it together because as you said, Chidge, they're irrelevant and we, and they're bottom and they should have been beaten. And I think that's why the, well, part that contributed to the bad atmosphere personally, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, well I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm quite encouraged by Wolves. I think, I think that we'll be okay there. I mean, I'm worried about the fact they're in a poor run of form, because that means that they're going to bounce back sometime. And they're a decent side, got some good players, but they like to play football, so that that might help us, I think, because they will try and play football. Uh, and I actually weirdly think, uh, you know, the same with City. You know, the fact is that they play football, so. We don't play in a dissimilar fashion per se, so I don't I don't see us getting hammered actually. Although the proof, the pudding will be in the eating, but you know I, I think we're capable of getting a draw definitely. And I, I mean, why not? Why not? Can, why can we not beat them? Who knows? Anyway, we'll find out at the weekend. We surely, surely will. Uh, now, Jonathan, we got a we got an email here from the lovely Andrew Andrew Bailey, Gaffer's brother. And uh, Andrew is in Mixler at the moment, so there we go. Good. Well, I, I hope I can do this. Uh, do it. Um, well, if, do you, it if you struggle, mate, shout and I'll do them. All right. No, no, I'm all right, Chidge. Thanks. I've just become very old, though. I'll do it in this old voice um, from Andrew Bailey. Hello, Andrew, who I've met. Uh, it was charming. Hello, boys and girl. As the weather brightens up in Melbourne, I find myself in a philosophical mood. Whilst Chelsea Twitter is busy ripping each other's, each other's throats out. Here they are. I'm casting my mind towards 
against the lack of a director of football at Stamford Bridge. Arguments will rage on as to who was to blame for the Spurs' defeat. Was it the players, was it Sarri, or was it both? To be quite frank, I don't really care. The game has passed, we were outplayed, and we need to do better. My biggest concern is why no one has been installed into a position that is truly pivotal to true progress, in my view. Who is scouting the Jorginho understudy at present? Is it the uh, at present? It is the glacial Fabregas. Cast your mind back two seasons. You'll remember opposition midfield bypassing Sesk with ridiculous ease. I'm convinced that Matic left because he was fed up with doing all of Sesk running. But that's me. We have a team of very good players that have won leagues playing counter-attacking football. And now they're expected to play this high possession, fast ball movement, highly energetic style of play. We quite obviously do not have all the personnel required to execute this highly sophisticated style of play right now. But who is going to find these players? Are they already at the club? I don't think so. So where are they and how do we get them here? The director of football is an imperative of where to move forward or at least keep pace with City and the rest. Sarri has no interest in the transfer market. We need someone in there that can let the coach narrow his focus and just be a coach. We've all read the names of potential candidates for the position, but the club are moving like Fabregas in making their decision, and frankly, that's worrying. Roman cannot expect a wholesale change of philosophy and style of play without changing aspects of the way some things happen upstairs. As a side question, how many players do you think we have that are truly suited to Sarri's style of play. In my mind, Kepper, Jorginho, Rudiger and Hazard are the only ones truly built for the system. As you can see, that leaves a lot of holes to fill. Announce Balak, obviously as um, director of football, he means. Up the Chelsea, Andrew Bailey. Shall I say something or would you want to start? No, after you, mate. Um... I get fed up with this whole thing of having a go at the board all the time as if they don't know what they're doing. Because um, I think they're, they know, they've worked out that they don't want a director of football and they're happy with the way it works. And I think the, uh, they've got people working on this. They've got a whole uh, system of scouts out. Um, they, they, they speak to all lots of agents. They, they, they're, they're on the ball here. And, um, I think the the Kepper um, purchase was a, a perfect example of getting it absolutely right. And um, uh, I don't understand why getting a director of football will make us a better team. I'm sorry, I don't get it. Perhaps somebody could explain to me what uh, why and why the board are wrong doing it the way they want to do it. Um. I, I agree with what Jonathan said insofar as I was going to say exactly the same thing. Kepper is a perfect example of the club getting 100% right. Um, the only thing I would say in terms of um, having a director of football is the fact that yeah, you don't you don't know who's doing what and there's no reason why we should know. We're only fans. But I do think it is quite noticeable and it's not just the money that in terms of where we were um, when Roman first took over and Mourinho was in charge as to where we are now and how far behind Man City we are. 
Um, and that is because I think we've done a lot of this piecemeal. And yes, we've gone on and we've won trophies, um, but it's all very short-termism, uh, especially if we don't incorporate the, the young players. So that's why we need a director of football, in my opinion, um, because we need to have um, some direction. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I wouldn't normally. I, I, I think the idea of a direct fo- director of football is an absolute load of arse gravy. But uh, gone are the days when managers have total power, in which case you wouldn't need a director of football because they would do that job. Those days are long gone, uh, particularly at Chelsea, of course, where we get rid of managers after 18 months on average. So, you know, I think in the context of that, it makes sense to have a director of football. So there is some continuity in terms of the players that you buy. But, um, you know, that aside, I mean, you know, I think the current setup, I mean, effectively, Marina Granovskaya is the director of football. Um, and I think it's very difficult to figure out what's been going on because we're not quite sure, for example how many of those players that we've got at the moment were bought on the recommendation of Conte. And as I said, this is one of the problems. I think we've got a whole load of players who are good for playing his system of football, but are no good for playing Sarri's system of football. I also think that, yes, okay, they've got... I think it looks like they've made a cracking decision with Kepa, whoever made that. And I don't think that had anything to do with Conte. But also they've they've made a few Horlickses. But as I said, I don't. I mean, this is always going to be the case. You can you can go and buy a player who looks fantastic. I mean, you know, Torres, you know, fantastic Liverpool, absolute ass gravy with us. So you know, there's no kind of divine right to get these decisions absolutely spot on at all. Uh, whether you're a director of football or a genius manager or or, or Marina Granovskaya, but I think I think like Clayton overall, given the fact that. Um, you know, we are likely to always see our manager turnover at very high. It makes sense to me to have somebody who is there all the time, who can actually ensure that players get developed and are coming through, that we're not missing out on really good players that are available. Um, But it's then behoven upon them to work very closely with the incumbent manager. Now, with a manager like Sarri, it will probably work very well because he's just not interested in that. But he could work with a director of football and say, well... You know, this is the kind of player I want. Go and find me one, and off they'll go. But who's to say that Marina's not capable of doing that? I don't know. I, I think it's a very complex and very difficult issue. And, of course, the most frustrating thing for us as supporters, it's something that we never get any understanding of or idea about what's really going on. And uh, that annoys me and I think causes a lot of friction on, on in the usual places. But there you go. Andrew, brilliant questions, mate. Lovely email. I hope uh, Melbourne is lovely and sunny and you are on good form. And I want to know when you're coming back over here. It'd be great to have a beer with you, mate. I haven't seen you for years. And bring that reprobate gaffer with you too, because I haven't seen him for a long time either. Anyway, Jonathan, we have another another email, don't we? We do. Alex Woodhams. Hey, guys. My name is Woody. I'm a Chelsea fan currently living out in Brazil. I've enjoyed listening to you guys discuss the Alvaro situation on recent shows. It's indeed a delicate one. Although I also grow increasingly weary with each floppy display, I still fantasize about his breathtaking performance away against Atletico last year and that ruthless bullet header at home to United, hoping he can regain that mojo. I thought he looked a class act then. Maybe he still is. Only time will tell. His potential and mental conditions aside, I don't feel the pressure of being the main striker at Chelsea is helping the situation improve right now. With January approaching, I wonder how we rectify this most successfully. 
JK talked last week of his admiration for Kane. And I started thinking about Harry's rise from a championship flatliner to a world-class striker. I hope I'm remembering correctly, but Spurs were in a similar Spanish striker debacle to us at the time, an expensive Roberto Soldado-sized mistake. They needed cover, recalled Kane from a lower league loan. He took his chance and the rest is history. My question is, do you see any parallels to our very own Tammy Abraham? There are the obvious questions we all have about his ability to play top-level football. Yet I recall Rafa van der Vaart raising similar concerns regarding Kane when he was recalled from a championship loan at Leicester to cover the first team back in 2013-14. I guess it would be a bit of a gamble. But as we're still transitioning and learning Sarri ball, is this not the perfect moment to take a dip, particularly given Maurizio's coveted ability in player development? Thanks for making this show. I really enjoy it, Woody. Thanks, Woody. Um, my view of, of, of Tammy is we, we mustn't forget that, that each loanee has a mentor at the club. They don't just leave them to go and play and then think, oh, we can sell them for a, a, an, um, an advanced amount, an, an, ele an elevated amount of money. Um, there is somebody uh, talking to them about their previous performances. And so... They're really under the spotlight. Tammy Abraham is completely under the spotlight from the club. And if they think that he's on the way to getting better and better and they need somebody at the club, um, they'll call, they'll recall him as they did Nathan Ake. Um, that was on, um, that was the request of Conte, if you remember. Um, the, the dilemma is, if he's, is he going to get any playing time? He has to then do it in training. And, and this is always my big thing is we don't get we're not party to what goes on in training. We just don't we don't we're not there. And the manager makes the decisions based on what, on what he's seeing. However, he's he's clearly thrown his hat into the ring, Abraham. And the more goals he gets from now between now and January, the more I think they will be considering recalling him. But it's still only the championship. And you give us the you have to remember Patrick Bamford was championship player of the year and they could not cut it again in the Premier League. In the same way that Abraham scored very few goals for Swansea and every time I saw him, looked out of his depth. Now, that's not to say he's improved. I'm, I know, and good luck to him. Let's hope he has. But the club will be on it. Really, really trust me in this. They have a very good setup for dealing with all the low knees. Mate, that's such a good point. I don't know if I can add to that. Clayton, you got anything to say to that? No. Um, the only thing I would say is that, um, as I always say, if you don't try with them, then you're never going to find out. And I think that's that's where we are with Abrahams. Um, yeah, he is scoring goals in the Championship. Um, the four goals that he scored against um, Forrest in midweek, they were all scrappy, except he was there. He was basically there. He's got a real striker's instinct. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, you will never know until you try. Um, so that's the only thing I'll say. But yeah, once yeah, again, does, mean, he, does he fit in the Surrey system? Is he? Does Terry want a scraps player? Does Surrey want a quicker player? Does he want somebody? If you once again look at Napoli at the moment, and they're all unbelievably speedy. You know, yeah. so you think he, he may not fit it, you know. 
No, but I mean, you know, it's just, how how is he any different? I mean, apart from obviously experience and what have you, but he's he's sort of a a, a more physical player, um, and he he scores most of his goals in the box, and we just haven't had a player like that. Um, no, no, sure. I mean, we've basically Mitchy is a sort of similar player in terms of the goals that he scores are all in the six yard area. Um, look, the bottom line is that none of them are of the quality of an Aguero um, or, or an Kane. Aubameyang, a- I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, that, that's very interesting because, and this goes back to the director of football, you know, you look at Arsenal over the last two seasons, they've got Lacazette and Aubameyang and they picked them up without competition as far as I can see. Yeah. And what did we get? Morata and Giroud. Um... I don't know. It, that that that's something I think that maybe, um, we you know you need to look at the bigger picture as to why we didn't even go for a Bama Yang who obviously was quality player. Sorry, I got distracted. I'm watching some uh, naked fat bloke with blue paint all over him kicking off on Twitter. Uh, okay. <laughs> It's just surreal. I'm sorry. It's just the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. Mate, I, I kind of agree with you, actually. But I, I've got this kind of weird uh, kind of thing going on at the moment. It's like, I don't know whether it's a hallucination, a nightmare, or or a vision. I'm not sure. But that in about a year's time or so, Sarri will lose the plot and get fired again. Raymond's buggered off. And basically, uh, you know, all the good players have either left or, or retired or whatever. And we just have to play all the youth, and then we'll see what happens, you know. And in a weird sense, uh, I mean, I agree with J, uh, J.K. about a lot of this. I think if we did put the youth in now on mass, uh, we would get. Uh, we I think we would struggle to stay in the league. Um, but there's a very big part of me, in a kind of weird nostalgic sense, would say it might be quite a fun ride because there is something there is something about this obsession with the youth. And what I'm finding interesting is that it's not just the old farts. Who were you know who were right behind the uh, Eddie McCready team, for example? But I think there's a similarity there, and that the youngsters here now have are more obsessed with the youth than we are. And I, I think it is that affinity you have with players who are the, who are the same age as you. I mean, you know, for example, Mark Hughes got the sack today, and I forgot how young he was. He's 55. He's only a couple of years older than me. Kerry's only three years older than me. So. We have an affinity with, I, th- I think, with players who are the same age as that, and that's the only explanation I have for this kind of weird obsession with the youth. Um, however, I take your point, Clayton, and I think you know I, I could sum it up thusly: you know, you you don't find out how good these guys are unless you play them. And my fear is is that ultimately we are missing a trick because we're not actually ever in a position to find out in a meaningful way. And uh, I think Woody's point about Kane is spot on might have been by luck more than judgment but uh you know they they by that luck rather than judgment uh you know got a a young kid into their side who's arguably the best striker in the world at the moment and how many of our own players are, are, are we missing out on you know who knows i mean it's 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 an impossible question to answer but woody well done for asking it uh another email jk yes 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 Oh, hang on. Yes, here we are. Oh, help, my phone's gone off. Hang on. Um, yes. 
Yes, I'm talking to cover the fact that I haven't quite got the page, which is a, a way that you deal with these things when you're live. Here we are. Um, Bud Zola. A story. It's been a long-running saga, our ticketing system. As recently as 2005, I managed to get my ticket for Bolton away by sending a letter and a cheque to the ticket office about five months in advance. But that's a story for another day. So it's 2004, when we've got the Arsenal Invincibles in the Champions League quarterfinal. It's been an incredible journey in the Champions League, and now a London derby stands between us and our deepest journey into Europe's elite competition. Naturally, everyone wanted to go, and the club had concocted this bizarre system whereby the box office made contact with supporters over the telephone in order, in, in order based on loyalty points, asking them if they'd like a ticket. I hope one of you remembers this, otherwise I'll look like a blackguard. I'm living at home with my parents at this point. I was only 20. I was working full time. No girlfriend, let alone wife and kids. I wasn't on top bunts by a long stretch, but I didn't have much good. So I'd really enjoyed myself that season. It was difficult not to get caught up in it all. What a complete fantasy. I went to Paris and Munich and Stuttgart and most of the home ties. No chance of getting a ticket for this, though, I thought. So a couple of days after the Arsenal away tickets start being sold, I'm sat at home on one of my days off and the phone rings. I used to hate answering the house phone. It was never for me. But for some reason, I decided to see who it was. The folks were out, so I figured I'd better take a message or whatever. And bugger me, it was the ticket office. I was speechless and kept stumbling over my words. I couldn't believe my luck. The transaction was complete and I'd blown about 50 kisses down the phone. I spent the rest of the day in a daze. I shat it all day on match day. The 1-1 draw in the home leg was really, really tough on us. We'd struggled to outplay the Gooners for a fair few years, and we did that night, but they still had inched a bleeding draw. Like so many famous nights still to come, we'd been written off, likely to succumb to the brilliance of what was a really electrifying Arsenal side at the time, if we're honest. But again, like so many famous nights still to come, there was just something in the air that night. Anyone at the game will tell you I was there. It was an infectious optimism. And even when Reyes put Arsenal ahead right on half time, no one seemed to care. Carefree. It's our anthem and we lived it that night. There's so many inexplicable emotions connected to it. It was a remarkable evening. It was 1-0 to the Arsenal, but we had to score going into the match anyway. And the feeling in the stands transcended onto the pitch and into the hearts of the players wearing blue. Fearlessly... We dominated Arsenal in that second half. A team who'd swept aside all who dare front up to them were being completely rampaged upon. It was magnificent. Lampard's goal was archetypal of his reading of the game and an early indication of what he might achieve in football. We nearly made it 2-1 not long after, but a last gasp clearance off the line kept Arsenal in a tie. They were clinging on, though, like a tiring gazelle, delaying the inevitable, being chased down by a ferocious lion. There was no way we weren't winning that football match. What happened next had never happened to me before, and it hasn't happened since. I just slipped the ball through the defender's legs back to Wayne Bridge. Wayne Bridge! What on earth was he playing at? In literally a second of our earth time, all the defeats, all the misery, all the last gasp, absolutely gutting Arsenal goals that I've witnessed over the years and which ruined my days and nights, flashed before my eyes. I saw them all in perfect clarity. Smith, Wright, Campbell, Winterburn, Silvino, Canu. Jesus Christ, they had the beating of us for two decades. I saw, saw them all right there and then in the stadium. And I can never put it into words. I just saw them. 
I regained my vision as Bridge made contact with the ball. The net rippled. Well, that was it. That unified, carefree belief in the stands, harnessed by our beloved Chelsea players, had brought about the most unlikely of upsets. And we all knew it. Bridge was five deep in the away end. Players were charging 60 yards to come together as one with the supporters and their teammates. It was magical. When I eventually got back to my seat, my mini disc player, as was the style at the time, was completely shattered, totally written off. Bits of metal and springs and plastic casing were strewn across the terrace like Arsenal's hopes and dreams in pieces. I couldn't have given less of a shit about it. And I booted the remnants across the floor and hugged the older lady next to me who'd been clinging desperately to my arm all game. I squeezed her so tight she started to sob. I very really joined her. Sorry, that should be as she started to sob. <laughs> Sounds as if he'd squeezed her so tight he made her sob. And it wasn't. I squeezed her so tight as she started to sob. I very nearly joined her. Sadly, as we all know, football is the greatest equaliser known to man. That high, that out-of-body experience, that ecstasy was all brought crashing down by Fernando Morientes under our very own roof. The sadness I felt that night sticks with me to this day, and it's hard to believe that it was a byproduct of such unbridled joy. But there's a price to pay for said joy in this sport we adore, and I'd pay it again in a heartbeat. The end. That was brilliant. Brought back a few memories, didn't it? Blimey, bud. Blimey, bud. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I remember that point that you, you made about it didn't matter whether they scored or not because we had to score was uh, was very relevant. Of course, if we, uh, I think if we'd, if we'd scored, then um, uh, we obviously had to get another one. But it, it, there was a kind of inevitability about it. I agree completely. I remember just thinking... God, we're playing wonderfully. I think we're going to win this. It was a brilliant, brilliant evening, wasn't it? Absolutely. And then, of course, the trouble was that then Ranieri mucked it up uh, in the semi-final. But never mind. Um, yeah, superb stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant stuff indeed. Um, right. Uh, in part four, we've got a few more emails for Jonathan to read out, plus the usual roundup of worthy Chelsea causes. We'll see you in a second. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast on the home straight. Don't forget, check out the website, ChelseaFancast.com. Lots of good readings are to be found there. Right, we have we have the missed the, the missing emails from last week, Jonathan. The two absolute humdingers from Brandon Nelson and Mark Harrington. So take it away, JK. Here we go, team. Brandon Nelson, Chidge and Co. Take two from Middle America. I started writing you a month ago after meaning to for a couple of years. I'll spare your listeners month old musings in favour of a few thoughts before explaining why I'm here. Originally, I took Emerson and Zappacosta to task for their abysmal crossing versus Derby and the return leg against Bate, but Bate, 
But Emerson's cross to Giroud in the second half of the Bate match made the difference. And this week versus Pauk, OK, 10-man Pauk, uh, he looked serviceable to even good, where Zappa managed at one point to cut inside and unleash her, well, uh, an effort which uh, went for a throw-in on the far side. So when Marco spent the first hour of the Fulham match looking frustrated and putting in poor crosses, I thought we may see Emerson get a chance. But he apparently wasn't even on the bench. Was he injured? I spent the first half of the Tottenham match lamenting that Cova started over Barkley. He was sloppy, slow and sprinkled in some poor decisions. Yes, yes, it's not fair to single out one poor performance in that hot mess of a match. But since his early season link-up glories with Hazard, I've failed to see why Cova is preferred at a position with three fairly distinct options. Then again, my tactical understanding is nearly non-existent. At any rate, brilliant to see RLC come on and make a difference against Fulham. What a morale boost for Chelsea supporters if he can, at minimum, share the spotlight. Any chance hudson Adoy comes on late for Hazard in the next few weeks? Enough to keep him happy. Maratta, weeks ago, I was hopeful at the prospect of him seeking help for his ailing head, despite his reversion to the seated appeals against Everton. Unfortunately, his display after scoring against Pauk and then his cameo yellow card against Fulham seemed to indicate he's made being aggrieved an end unto itself. Costa was aggrieved, and at the worst of times, that's all he was. But usually, he was aggrieved with an aggression, a point to prove. Morata looks like his point is that he's not happy. So if you get a shot, please tell him, message received, what's next? I came to be a Chelsea supporter inadvertently about six years ago. A friend began inviting me over first to watch the Euros and then for some Premier League matches. I learnt the ins and outs of illegal streaming and was soon watching any top-flight match I could get my eyeballs on. I'd never had a team in any sport. I played all sports growing up. I've always watched whatever was in season. I always just rooted for the underdog. I like the competition. It's the purest form of drama. And apparently, I didn't want any skin in the game. I looked down my nose at tribalism in sports. Sure, I've enjoyed seeing the Kansas City Royals win two World Series titles in my lifetime, and my gal and I attend some sporting Kansas City games. But KC is three hours away. I've never thought of either, either of them as my team. So it makes absolutely no sense that I latched onto Chelsea. My friend, a poet and committed Spurs fan, told me I should pick a team to follow if we were going to continue watching matches. Uh, maybe, I said. That's just never been my thing. Two weeks later, I'd watched a shattered Torres struggle to pick his head up after repeated missed chances, and I'd heard the pundits lambast a young manager for his failing defensive high line. I told my poet friend I was a Chelsea fan. I can still see his face. Little doubt I had chosen poorly. Talk about we ain't got no history. I'd made a snap judgment on a snapshot in time. So I started doing some research. Nothing I found convinced me I'd chosen wisely. These weren't underdogs. They were funded by Russian oil money. Maybe they were underdogs for the first hundred or so years, but not now. This went against a lifetime of ingrained behaviours. I don't root for the rich. But somehow... It was too late. I was already getting to know these guys. Ramirez's tireless work and occasional naughty tackle. Super Frankie Lampard, who looks like so-and-so's cousin, but always picks the right pass and finishes coolly. The nimble train that is Br Branislav Ivanovic. The fearsome fluff of David Luiz. The sweaty blonde wattle and full sleeves of Raul Merrilies. And, of course, our helmeted hero in goal. 
I had no idea where they were in the table. I knew they were struggling, but I didn't even know what a table was. As an American, it would never occur to me that the regular season would matter, let alone that the schedule was predictable and fair. What I did know was that these, these were my guys. I started watching religiously, constant browser refreshing, sometimes 240p resolution, pop-up ads, the occasional SOP cast and failing virus protections. I'm not positive I watched every match that first year, but I found myself refinishing a piece of furniture in my basement one winter afternoon, filling with dread as Jose Boswinga came on for the injured Cahill in what was always going to be a tough ask at the Camp Nou. I should have been at work, but I convinced myself it was okay if I could be productive while watching the game. My laptop froze, and by the time I rebooted, we were down a goal, and I was watching the replay of Terry's knee to Alexis's butt. The new stream was stable, and the tale it was telling was brutal. I'd played hooky for this. I've rewatched that full match since, and the highlights a few times. Every time, it's less probable. Ramirez's deft chip ended any progress I'd made on that piece of furniture. When Torres came good, I came completely unglued. I didn't recognise myself. Screaming and jumping, high-fiving the concrete pillars, I avoided growing up as a rule. In my own way, I'm committed to it. But despite our best efforts, adulthood finds ways of bridling self-expression. Maybe it's because no one was watching. Maybe it's because the result of that match should have had no practical impact on me. Or maybe I just really needed a win. Whatever the reason, that was one of the purest releases of joy I've ever experienced. I have to go back to high school to find a moment to rival that feeling. Back to the only goal I scored. I was a shit winger on a shit team. And I was ultimately carded for unsportsmanlike by the time that flow of crazy subsided. Today, that cabinet is still in pieces in my basement. Now, when I skip work for Champions League matches, there's no pretense of productivity. I just plan to drink alone in the afternoon. That's my experience as a Chelsea fan in Nowhere, Kansas, landing on nicknames for players for use only while accosting TVs or muttering under my breath, ditching work to refresh my laptop in a poorly lit basement, depriving my girlfriend of a good sleep in as I stomp and moan because we can't put away Swansea, Swansea at 6am on a Saturday. And I'm over my underdog roots. Chelsea ruined me. You've ruined me. I don't even watch other sports now. I don't, didn't see a pitch of this year's World Series. I listen to you guys while I finish drywall. I blurt, that's the girl who loves balls. When I recognize a disembodied <laughs> voice on a public television program, my gal is watching. And I'm slipping into the warm embrace of tribalism. Extremely satisfying to see Cooter give up five in his first Classico. That's Courtois, isn't it? Cooter. It's a decidedly solo endeavor, which makes me and many other listeners all the more grateful for the sense of belonging and community your podcast provides. I know you know your audience too well to admit it, but it must be somewhat galling to hear how, how important that Champions League run and title were to a complete newbie with no sense of history. So truly, thank you all for sharing with us. My aforementioned ridiculously understanding girlfriend just booked two tickets in the East End Middle for Spurs at the end of February. I'm still coming to grips with it. I can't even say that was on my bucket list because I don't have the financial means for a bucket that big. But she assures me it's real. It's happening. So I'd better plan on it. I'd love to meet any and all of you and buy you a drink or two for the insights, entertainment and commiserations you offered. My bucket is large enough for that. So please advise where I might find you. The cock. 
And please tell me what I'm in for with these tickets. Supporters, clubs and loyalty points were all too confusing and uncertain for a one-off. So we've got hospitality tickets with padded seats and access to the captain's bar. You're in the East Stand. Hooray! Will I need to be on best behaviour? Is this full-on Jonathan seating? <laughs> Not quite, I'm afraid. Not quite, but almost. Or just a way to charge more for tickets. Also, should we be worried at all about the fixture being moved? Europa League is scheduled the previous week, but I'm hopeful we'll still be both cups at that stage. It is a midweek game sandwiched between PL matches either weekend. I hope this finds you all well. Cheers and up the Chelsea, Brandon Nelson. Another great mail. Great stuff. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant that one, isn't it? And then you can see why I was so keen that we did read it out eventually. Yeah, I know yeah. it was long, but yeah. uh, I think Brandon actually resent it and edited it down a bit. Yeah, but, he did, uh, he did, and he added the full of yeah, yeah. absolutely brilliant well, well though. Done, um, and brilliant stuff. Yeah, I just you, like to say to him, meet. we must all meet. Bloody hell, wonderful. Yeah, I just like to say to him that. Uh, that Champions League run means as much to us as it does to you, mate. Don't worry about that. It doesn't matter how long you've been going. When I die, that run will be flashing before my eyes before I shuffle off this mortal coil. So don't worry about that. And, yeah, I mean, I hope that... When, when, remind me, when does he say the, what games he's coming to? Spurs. Spurs. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I, you know, they haven't announced when it when it is yet. I would imagine middle of January, maybe. Uh, February, said oh, no, February. yeah, I know, changed. but they announce when the games are. Oh, we see what you mean. Sorry, sorry, yeah. yeah, I would imagine beginning of January, maybe. So, I, I hope it pans out, but yeah, you know, make sure, uh, make sure you come and find us, Brandon, and we'll have a beverage with you. And it sounds like he's in the posh bit, so he might be near you, mate. Captain's bar, a little bit further on, I think, not quite in the middle, but mm. nonetheless, it's in the middle tier, yeah, good for mm. him. Yeah, padded seats, go. your own your own personal uh, manservant and roaring fires. You've got to look forward to that. So, all right. Actually, I better not mislead him. No, it's captains, isn't it? Captain's club. That'll be, you get sailors. Lots of sailors come in and um, do the hornpipe. Hello, horn sailor. They do, for the horn, <laughs> they do the hornpipe for you. And they're all dressed, they're all dressed as, dressed as metal uh, in, in stripy tops. And they all, um, yeah, they've got whistles. They, get, they do, they salute you in. They pipe you in. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very good. It's made all that up, by the way. That doesn't happen at all. Anyway, good. This one. Mark Hannington, Dave and Jonathan. Hello from NZ, land of the eggs chasers. My name is Mark Hannington. I hope you'll consider this submission for your next show. Considered, and we're doing it, Dave. Uh, Mark, I mean, uh, yeah, because that's you, Dave, and I'm Jonathan. Yeah. Firstly, thank you and all your fellow fancasters for helping people like me keep abreast of the goings on Chelsea. I've been in New Zealand for 11 years. I'm not sure if you can imagine how shite it is being here whilst, whilst trying to follow football. But if you imagine something really quite shite, it's probably a little worse than that. <laughs> Your shows are great and supplement my ongoing efforts to keep up with the team by getting up at all hours to watch games live. Doing this also allows me to annoy my mates in the Matthew Harding Upper by texting them during games. Apparently, whilst preparing my pre-match cuppa a couple of weeks back, I caused a phone to chirp during the minute silence a mistake for which I hereby formally apologise. Before coming to New Zealand, I lived in London. My first Chelsea match was courtesy of my pregnant mother, who carried my gestating self to Chelsea versus Portsmouth in May 1963. We won 7-0. Tambling got four. Mark, I was there, Mark. 
I was there. Um, it's a little strange, but I can't remember a time when I wasn't a Chelsea fan. I never questioned you. I just inherited it from my dad, who lived in Battersea. So I should have said, I was there with you as a fetus. Um, I just inherited it from my dad, who lived in Battersea, and used to walk to both Fulham and Chelsea matches, uh, as we did as well, me and my dad. I have great memories of playing football in the back garden with my dad and brother. And recall pictures of me in my kit, milk teeth missing with curly hair, national health glasses and a leather-laced ball. We watched the 1970 Cup final on a small black-and-white TV in my grand's Battersea flat. Despite being a Chelsea fan, the first game my dad took me to was a nil-nil League Division 3 game between Fulham and Norwich City in 1971. I expect he wanted to try me out at a game where the crowd wasn't so big. The game was unremarkable. In fact, I can recall no specifics at all. But I remember enjoying the excitement of walking through the park by the river and the increasing buzz as we approached the ground. The first Chelsea game I attended as a self-sufficient human was when my dad took me to a 3-1 victory versus Everton in 1973. Then Peter Monty's dad took a few of us to Chelsea versus Newcastle in February 1975 as Peter's birthday treat. Again we won, this time 3-2. Finiston, Cook and Hollings. Subsequent trips to the bridge were sporadic, primarily because we used to play football on Saturday afternoons. We did get to games when fixtures allowed and watched 50 yards from the pitch from the white wall of the shed. In those days, you got there early to secure your spot and spent a pre-match hour singing songs to keep yourself entertained. Every player had a song. We could do that now, couldn't we, Chid? Safe standing would perhaps bring this atmosphere back as well as increasing capacity and providing cheaper tickets. Good point, what we were discussing earlier. Top memories from our white wall perch in the 80s include Rhodes Brown in victory versus Liverpool, the infamous Pat Nevin penalty versus Man City, the disastrous Milk Cup semi-final second leg after the first leg on ice versus Sunderland, where chaos ensued, the Leeds 5-0 game to clinch promotion with the North Stand scoreboard being dismantled by Leeds fans. John Phillips' white gloves in the rain and the mud versus Leeds. The Middlesbrough relegation playoff second leg where we went down and chaos once again ensued. The crash outside the ground to get into a Queen's Park Rangers game where a police horse hospitalised Steve Powell by treading on his plimsolled foot. The crowd of less than 7,000 versus Barnsley in 1988. The smell of cigarettes and hot dogs and the bags of peanuts. At 30 years old in 1993, after finally buggering my shins running the London Marathon, I hung up my Saturday footballing boots. Three of us bought season tickets in the front row of the Old West Stand behind the benches. This was Hoddle's first year as Chelsea manager, following Porterfield and Webb. We used to love watching Terry Phelan. Yeah, so did I. He was supremely sprightly and spectacularly fast, but was one of those players who was, as they say, good without the ball. I can remember a few of those. Fast forward a couple of years, we were watching Dan Petrescu, still my favourite right back. Rude, he may be the best CFC player I've seen. Yes, absolutely agree with you. Yes, the best. Dimitea, Dimitea Leboeuf, Zola, Viali, Jody Morris, Phil Hughes and young Mark Nichols. Good timing on our part. The rest, as they say, is history. I'll never forget the Cup comeback versus Liverpool or the Zola girl versus Julian Dix or the excitement of travelling up the M6 to see us in the FA Cup semi at Villa Park. I'll also never forget the graphite and tangerine kit 
nor the tiny toilet block behind the west stand where you were carried in and out by the crush and where the sinks were also urinals. Yes, I remember that too. In 1997, when the west stand was demolished, the three of us moved to the Matthew Harding Upper, which is where we still are. Obviously, being in New Zealand, my visits to the bridge aren't as regular as they used to be, so a co cohort of mates now share the three tickets. The right to attend games is cemented at the annual season ticket draw held at Clapham Junction in the Fulton <laughs> pub. Much like the World Cup, games are pulled out of bowls, pint pots containing seeded teams. This event would be much easier to administer if we had 20 home games a year. But despite the mathematical challenges of dividing 19 equally, the draw endures as an annual social highlight. Like you, we drink in the cup before each game. Like you, we have enduring relationships supported by the fabric of Chelsea FC. Long may it continue. As luck has it, I'll be coming to London on the 2nd of December for work, which means I will be making my regular but now infrequent pilgrimage to the bridge on the 8th of December for the Manchester City game. I will buy you a pint if you're cocking yourselves. <laughs> I met Dave there last year with mate Sean, Mark and Ronnie the Dane, so it'll be great to see you again. My wife is very keen for me to return with stories of you, JK, as she's a makeup artist and believes she may have touched you up in the past. <laughs> I hope to see you and other fan casters on the 8th of December in the pub. Take it easy, Mark Hannington. P.S. A quick observation, RE tickets. I've got a mate in New Zealand who travels to the UK reasonably regularly and has been successful in getting tickets simply by signing up as a member and keeping an eagle eye on the date tickets become available to members. Granted, this doesn't solve the cost issue, but it shows that you can get tickets if you keep your wits about you. Another fab male. Blimey. Bloody hell. You know what? Blimey, Mark. Brilliant. You know what? Yeah. That, I think, is is very close to being one of my the favourite emails that I've heard on this show. Actually, I just thought that that little trip down memory lane, yeah, yeah, was yeah. just so evocative, you know. And uh, and you're and he's right, actually. I, I I knew I knew when I saw the name actually that I'd uh, I did meet Mark in the cock uh, last season actually, and I did meet his mates Sean and Mark, and certainly Ronnie the Dane, and definitely had a beer with them. So uh, we need to have a beer with them on Saturday, and I should be buying you one, Mark, because that was a cracking email, mate. I've got to say that was fantastic. I'll, brilliant, I'll brilliant, come brilliant. as well, Chidge. I'll turn up and um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we we'll work that out, Shil. Shil. It's half yeah. five kickoff, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. We'll do a bit of working out on that then. But yeah, it'd be lovely. To, he's they're lovely, lovely bunch of lads. They're very funny and uh, very old school and uh, and great fun. So, Mark, I kind of hope that you haven't left yet, so that you'll get to hear this. And I'm sorry we didn't read it out last week, but it was just. It was all a bit mental, but I, I was Jonathan and I have st- stuck at it stoically and decided that we will we will finish the emails this week. So, so there you go. Right, buddy, I'm going to just carry on with this, and then we're done. Right, uh, quick plug, of course, for the wonderful C- uh, CFC UK fanzine. You can, of course, get it at the stall on your match day. Uh, or from any of the sellers, uh, uh, well, you can get it home and away, of course, but you can get it from the sellers who proliferate around those areas, uh, usually the Fulham Road, and you can subscribe to it if you can't get it in person, or you can get it uh, digitally by going to CFC UK Net, and if you're in the USA, follow the Twitter account at CFC UK USA, and if anyone is interested in getting a copy, a proper copy, contact Dan Lundberg on Twitter at dlundberg underscore. 
Uh, do not forget uh, that you can also you can also help us too. You know, I mean, CFC UK is only a pound. Hurry up. Uh, whereas Patreon is really whatever you like. Uh, you know, it's all in dollars as well, which makes it a weeny bit complicated for me. But uh, yeah, I mean, basically, it's a little community that we've really got from the people who listen to the show on a regular basis, who like what we do, and they kind of contribute a little bit of money every month. And that kind of helps, uh, helps uh, you know, keep the show rolling along. Uh, as little or as much as you like, really, you know, I mean, dollar a show, dollar a month. We don't, I don't mind. I just, I'm just touched that you, that so many of you, you know, feel disposed to do that. And I thank you all from the heart of my bottom profusely. I might have some good news for you, Patreon people as well, of a, of a special little gift from your Uncle Chidge uh, pertaining to your sponsorship and patronage of us. So keep, keep your, keep your, you know, keep, uh, keep your eyes peeled on the Patreon site, which of course is patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash chelsea uh, fancast right uh, and as i said it's a good way to keep in touch with me you can send messages there or, or ping us a question for the show or or something you want asked or whatever and i'll guarantee it gets read out because uh, you is special and i love you uh, i love everybody obviously but maybe i love you just a teeny weeny bit more anyway uh quick uh, plug for the old supporters trust join the trust get your voice heard by the club it's free to join up to be a member but if you want to have a badge nice shiny badge and be able to vote in our meetings or or vote in the elections and attend our meetings and it's five quid a year uh easy to do sign up at chelseasupporterstrust.com and uh and also follow them on twitter at chelsea's trust and finally cpo if you want to own a little bit of chelsea and protect the future of the club go and buy a share of the chelsea pitch owners who of course own the freehold of stamford bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that chelsea football club will remain playing football at stamford bridge and to find out how to buy a share email info at chelseapitchowners.com or check out chelseafc.com forward slash fans forward slash chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners and follow them on twitter at pitch owners Right, that's all we've got time for tonight. We'll be back next Monday to report back on the matches against the Wolves and uh, Man City, of course. Uh, now, before that, of course, uh, we'll have uh, the Kerry Dixon show with me and Kerry, hopefully, if I can track him down, previewing the Chelsea versus City match on Thursday. And then on Friday, don't forget to tune in to the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio between 7 o'clock and 9pm with me and Jonathan and Aaron Paul, where we will be talking all things Chelsea, rounding up everything from the last week and, of course, looking forward to the weekend. Uh, and don't forget, the best thing about that is that you can phone in and join the show, join in the show and debate with us live. The number to call is 0208 70 20 558. And we had loads of callers last week. It was great, didn't we, uh, Jonathan? Yeah, it was terrific. Yeah, the more you yeah, phone in, enjoy that. It, it's really also it's nice to chat to people who are on Mixler who, who, who we've ne- I've never heard before, or never met before. Yeah, well, Alan, we had, we had Alan Gavran, didn't we? Yeah, Rupert's yeah. Cosmo, was, I, yeah. I, Aussie signed my broken leg. He was on, so that was great to hear from him. Right, and of course, Love Sport is a London radio station, and it's broadcast on five five eight a.m. and on London's DAB network uh, and numerous digital channels. You can also listen to it. Uh, uh, via uh, their via the radio player and the TuneIn app, and also lovesportradio.com. So do listen to it live. Phone us up; it's great fun. We love doing it. Now, as with every other show that we do, it's available as a podcast shortly afterwards, uh, and it, you can find it on chelseafancast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, and Spotify, as well as other podcast distributors. Uh, now you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stamford Chidge. 
Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd and Clayton at Goalie59. And of course, you can check out the website ChelseaFanCast.com. Now, many thanks, as always, to Gion and the Chelsea Fancast bloggers uh, for their regular content going up during the week. I, I love reading what they do. It's all great stuff. So there you go. Right, boys, time to go. Uh, Jonathan, as always, you've been a loon and a love. Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> can I be a lovely loon? Yes, you can, if you so choose. You can. Lo- loony lovely. Marvellous. I will see you on Friday. Looking forward to it, as always. Me too. Great stuff. Now, Clayton, lovely, uh, lovely to see you um, and uh, wave to you at the ground on uh, on Saturday, on Sunday. Sadly, we didn't get to have a beer or anything, but hopefully, I'll rectify that uh, next Saturday at the City match. I shall be in the cock, of course. Uh, but Clayton, thanks for coming on tonight. You're brilliant having you on, as always. Uh, I, I have been called this at Love Sports, so I'm now going to repay the honour that I would say that you are the housewives' choice on the Chelsea Fancast. Uh... <laughs> That was, that was kind of my reaction too, actually, when I was told that. So there you go. I'm old, I'm, old, I'm old enough to remember when there was a housewife's choice. Absolutely great. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I look forward to seeing you and doing it again sometime soon. Brilliant stuff, mate. Well, lovely lovely, lovely to hear your dulcet tones. And you, JK. And, uh, Take care. We will, we will see you soon. We'll get you back on soon. And uh, we'll... Uh, We'll have more fun, right? And you lot out, Mixler. Uh, obviously, great to have you here. Seeing so many of your lovely names appearing on the chat pages and seeing what you have to say, you make the show what it is. So, thank you very much. All right, people. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it Chelsea. Uh, Up the It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.